Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Join us during the summer for the old-time radio children's shows. Now relax, sit back, and enjoy this week's episode. A cloud of dust and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. When the early pioneers settled in the western United States, they kept many of their eastern customs, but they were unable to maintain law and order in the new territory. Outlaws preyed on the honest settlers. Cattle was stolen, banks were looted, and no man's property was safe. That was when the masked rider of the plains first rode in the cause of justice. No man did more in the fight against crime and criminals, and the memory of his deeds will remain as long as the memory of the early west itself. Now return with us once more to those thrilling days of yesteryear. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver! We're heading for Wellsville! Someone's waiting on the trail ahead! The town of Wellsville was founded by Zeb Wells, an Easterner. Its citizens were old neighbors and friends of Zeb from the East, and it was Zeb's money that had made it possible for them to settle in the new country. Zeb refused either to follow the customs or to be friendly with the people of the West. And the other inhabitants of Wellsville, because of their debt to him, were forced to obey his wishes. As the first scene of our drama opens, we see Nate Porter, the marshal, hailing who just entered town. Hold on there. Staying in town for a while, you're going right on through. Reckon we'll stay a while, won't we, Money? Reckon we will, Doc. What's it to you, Marshal? Well, if you're saying, you'll have to hand over them shooting irons you're wearing. Huh? 
What's that? You're loco. Them's the rules, and I'm here to enforce them. I never heard of such a thing before. Is that some more of them darn fool notions of Zeb Wells? Zeb, give me my orders. You fellow strangers here? Yeah. And how come you'd know about Zeb? Shucks, everyone around these parts has heard about the crazy things he does. Is it a fact old Zeb won't let none of the girls in this town keep company with anybody that ain't from the East? It sure is. And he won't let nobody but Easterners stay in town unless they're on business? Well, not that exactly. There ain't no way to stop strangers from coming here. They just ain't made welcome, that's all. You don't talk like no Easterner. I ain't. But Zeb had to have a fella that's handy with a gun for town marshal, so he hired me. This is sure the dernest setup I ever seen. Give me your shooting irons. You can have them back when you're ready to move on. All right. Here's mine. They'll be in my office when you want them. And here's mine. Mm-hmm. Come on, Money. Let's get going. Here. Say, Marshal, there's two more fellas coming. Them fellas on two big white horses. You're taking their guns, too? I sure am. There ain't nobody comes to this town without handing over his gun belt. Come on. Get, get up, up there. Get up there. Get up, come on. Get up there. I don't know whether I should have let them fellas stop in town at all. They're sure a pair of tough-looking hombres. Hey, you fellas! Oh, 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 boy. oh, 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 Is my gun belt, Marshal? Yeah. Here, here, mine. Oh, well, I'll be doggone. How do you fellows savvy what I stopped you for? We heard it was the rule here. Well, it ain't none of my doings, but I reckon Zeb savvies what he wants. He seems to have definite opinions about everything. He has that. Especially about Westerners. Chuck Zeb ain't a bad fella, but he's just come out this way, and he's still got the notion there ain't no Westerner was ever any good. I see. Come on, Tyler. Uh, Your guns will be in my office, stranger. Very well. Come on, Get on point, Tyler. Where are those two men gone who were talking to the marshal just before we rode up, Kimosabe? Them stopped by livery barn. They look to me like Dolph Layton and Monty Megan. Uh, when we saw Bolivar Bates and Hacksaw Hastings, they told us Dolph and Monty were riding this way. Them two fellas, outlaws. Dolph and Monty are two of the worst outlaws in this section. What them do here? That's what I want to find out. How you find out? First, I want to have a talk with Zeb Wells. Him plenty strange, fella. I've heard a lot about him lately. Uh And from what I've heard, I'm afraid he's heading for trouble. Why you think that? He's prejudiced against everything Western. (laughs) That's right. For instance, he won't allow his people to carry guns. That's bad. Zeb insists that only bullies and outlaws need guns. He isn't aware that if outlaws carry guns, honest people must do the same to protect themselves. Uh Wellsville has no bank. People here take the money to Zeb and he keeps it in his safe. Maybe outlaw know that. That would be a temptation to any outlaw. Zeb sometimes has thousands of dollars in his safe, from what I've been told. Not keep plenty cash. That's why I wanted to come here when I learned that Dolphin Monty would be in town. They may plan to take advantage of Zeb's ignorance of Western ways. Maybe that's right. Tonto, I want you to follow Dolphin Monty. Uh, Tonto, do that. Try to hear everything they say. Uh-huh. And in the meantime, I'll look over the town before calling on Zeb. Uh, Tonto, leave you now. Right. Come on, Silver. Young Cliff Dolan had been born in the West and now was the owner of a small but prosperous ranch not many miles distant from Wellsville. We see him as he enters the general store run by Zeb Wells in town. 
Howdy, Rita. Claire, what are you doing here? I come to see your pa. Oh, no. I told you I was. And I ain't afraid of him even if he is Lebwell. Oh, Clint, if he should find out I've been seeing you... That's just what I figure on telling him. But you can't... Dis- well, where is he? He just stepped back in the storeroom. <laughs> Please leave before he comes. Now, honey, you can't do that. We might just as well settle things once and for all. You can't talk to Father. I aim to tell him you and me plan on getting hit. He'll be furious. Maybe he will, and maybe he won't. But I don't hanker to keep on sneaking behind his back. He's going to find out right now how things stand. Oh, Cliff, wait. Please wait. But, Rita, there ain't no sense in it. You don't know. He may change his mind about things after a while, and you know I'll always wait for you. Sure, I savvy you love me, honey. Just the same way I'm crazy about you. But it ain't fair to any of us to let things go on the way they've been. I, I think I hear Father coming. Well, that's just fine. Go. Please go. If he gets into one of his terrible tempers... Rita! Yes, Father? Where's this young man you're talking to? Customer? Why, uh, he... I ain't I... no customer, Mr. Wells. Yes? I come to tell you I aim to marry your girl. What's that? And Rita wants to marry me, too. Rita, this true? I... Yes, it is. Get out of here, young man. Now, look here, Mr. Wells. That ain't no way to act. There ain't nothing you could have again me. I said get out. Not till I've said all I come to say. You'll get now or I'll take a whip to you. Father, there's a customer. He can wait. Won't have any young whippersnapper like this defying me. Mr. Wells, I got a ranch and cash in the bank over to Leadville. I ain't a drinking man nor a gunfighter neither. I can't see why you No don't... daughter of mine will marry a westerner. But you ain't... I know here. your breed. You're ruffians. Nothing but ruffians. The whole lot of you. That ain't so. When I founded this town... I said no one living here would have anything to do with your kind. Father, can't you be reasonable? I am reasonable. I'm saving you from a foolish mistake. Well, you might as well know right now that I ain't giving Rita up. Do you see this whip? What do you aim to do with that? I said I'd take a whip to you if you didn't you leave. You better leave, Cliff. There ain't a man alive can drive me out of any place. No? Well, I'll show you. That was just a warning. Next time I'll be across your back. Why, you... I warned you... I'll fix you for that. And here's another. I know you don't. Let go my arm. Not until you drop that whip. Get back, stranger. Drop that whip. Drop it. I can handle my own fights. There isn't going to be a fight. Get out, Cliff. I'll do no such thing. Lucy says, Cliff. Don't you understand the trouble you've made for me already? But I tell you, I'm not going... I'll be the one that's punished for what's happened, not you. Go on, Cliff. I'll go. But it won't be you that's making me go, Mr. Wells. If I ever see you near my daughter again, I'll horsewhip you within an inch of your life. I... I'm sorry about the way things had to turn out, Rita. So am I, Cliff. So long. But I'll be seeing you. Goodbye. All right. You can have your whip back, Zeb. Confound you. What right you have to end up here? You a friend of his? I'm a friend of all Westerners. Yeah, just as I thought. You can get out of here, too. I came here to talk to you. I hope to persuade you that the course you're following is wrong. Hey, Hunter. I... What's that? Just cowboys letting off steam, Zeb. Shooting off guns in town. I won't stand for it. There's no harm in it. It's just a custom. Where's the marshal? Why'd he take your guns away? I'll see to this. Out of my way, Redskin. Jim, plenty man. I, I apologize for the way Father talked. He isn't always this way. Really, he isn't. But, Cliff... I know. Was there something you wanted? Only to talk to your father. But I'm afraid that's hopeless. Yes. He won't listen to anybody. Come, Tyler. Uh. Come back later. He may be more reasonable then. Thank you. 
What did you learn, Kimosabe? How to hear them talk, Dawson, Monty? Uh-huh. What did they say? Me learn. There are plenty other fellas with them. They have a gang? Mm, that's right. I wonder where the rest of the gang is. Maybe we trail them, Dawson. Huh? That's a good idea. Steady, Silver. Yeah. And leave town only short time. We'll see if we can pick up the trail. They must have something planned if they're here with the gang. Uh, and I'm afraid it won't do any good to talk with Zeb now. Why, that? I'll tell you about it later, Tonto. But now we're in a hurry. Come on, Get him up, white fella. Outlaws, Doff Layton and Monty Megan, were careful to avoid the regular trails when they left Wellsville. They headed straight for the hills and a dense forest. We see them now as they enter the clearing where their gang is camped. Hi there, Link. Hello, fellas. What'd you find out? <laughs> now, plenty. This is going to be just about the easiest stunt we ever done. Yeah. Monty's right. That blame fool Zeb Wells couldn't have fixed things better for us. Well, that's why I said it might be a good notion coming here. And it was the best notion you ever had, Link. I'm telling you, there ain't nobody in town even carries a gun except in the town marshal. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh-huh. What's more, when some cowboys come riding into town from off the range, firing their guns and whooping it up, you'd have thought everybody in town would go loco. Huh? Even old Zeb himself beat it out of his store to stop him. Zeb did that. Weren't only him. The blacksmith, the hotel clerk, the fellow in the feed store, the whole bunch of them come running to give the marshal a hand. Well, I'll be doggone. And it was just that that gave us our scheme. Yeah. You tell him about it, Dolph. It was your idea. How would you fellas like to be cowboys for maybe an hour or so? Go ahead, Dolph. Well, it's like this. When I seen how all the folks in town rushed to help the marshal when them cowboys rode in... I figured you fellas could do the same thing. How do you mean? I suppose you know all the cash in town is mostly kept in Zeb Wells' safe. Yeah, that's because they ain't got no bank yet. Uh-huh. Well, if you fellas rode into town firing your guns in the air and making a plenty noise, that'd give me and Monty a chance at that safe while nobody was around. My golly, that ain't a bad idea. Zeb would be out of his store like a flash as soon as he heard the commotion. And Dolph and me would be right there to open the safe with blasting powder. But that'd be heard. Not if you fellas made enough noise. Uh, just a second. If there ain't none of them carrying guns but the marshal, why can't we just ride into town and help ourselves without trying to fool them? Yeah. Sure, we could do that. Then it'll be known who was the outlaws. This way, there won't be no one to see us. And there ain't no way for it to be proved you was working with us. I reckon you are right at that. All you fellas got to do is make a commotion. Do you see us riding out of town? <laughs> and when we meet you in camp, there'll be cash enough for all of us. And all because old Zeb is too darn stubborn to savvy what's good for him. <laughs> The curtain falls on the first act of our thrilling Lone Ranger drama. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. continue the story. Zeb Wells brought a group of Easterners to the West and founded the community of Wellsville. But he stubbornly refused to adopt Western customs or make Western friends. 
And a group of outlaws, led by Doth Layton and Monty Meegan, planned to take advantage of this. In the meantime, the Lone Ranger had been following their trail closely. As our second act opens, early the following day, we see the Lone Ranger and his faithful Indian companion, Tonto, riding toward the ranch of Cliff Dolan, a friend of Zeb's daughter, Rita. I hope we find Cliff at his ranch, Tonto. Ah, we know the outlaws plan to enter town this afternoon, but we need help to trap them. Tonto, think Cliff, help us. If we'd had more time, I would have told Zeb what we heard when we trailed the outlaws to their camp. Uh, him not believe you. I was afraid he wouldn't. And then that much time would have been wasted. Ah. And there was something else. What's that? Zeb hates all Westerners. Uh, Tonto know that. He needs something to show him that he's been mistaken. Ah. Most of the people in town would like to live on good terms with their Western neighbors. But they feel they must obey Zeb. That's right. So all we have to do is show Zeb that he's wrong. And the situation will be cleared up. You got plans? I have. But it depends on Cliff. There, his ranch. And I think that's Cliff sitting on a horse next to the corral. Ah. Him see us. Yes, he's riding this way. He won't recognize me with his mask on. When I met him yesterday, I was disguised. Hi there. I want to speak to you, Cliff. What in blazes? Your mask. Whoa. Oh, 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 there's oh, there's oh, 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 oh. An outlaw. Well, I'll shoot you him. You shoot him. Get it back, my gun. You snatch it right out of my holster. Tonto, keep him run. Give him you later. Bless you, I want you to... get your gun back, Cliff. But I tell you... Right you can... now, I want your help. What help could I give you? You're in love with Rita Wells? What if I am? I happen to know that outlaws are planning to rob her father. What's that? Tato and I trailed them to their camp and overheard their plans. That's a darn funny thing for an hombre like you to be telling me. If I were an outlaw, I'd say nothing about it. Yeah, there's something to that. I have a way to capture the outlaws and show Zeb that he was wrong. You mean it might fix it so he wouldn't object to me and Rita keeping company? I do. I don't know. Everything depends on your willingness to help. By golly, I'll do it. Anyhow, I'll listen to what you have to say. And if it makes sense, then I'm with you. Good. Now, this is what we'll have to do. had completed their plans for the raid upon Wellsville. We see them now, their horses saddled and their guns loaded, as they discuss the final details. I reckon you fellows have got most everything straight now. Yeah, How soon do you want us fellows to follow you into town, Dolph? Just give me and Monty five or ten minutes, then come riding in as noisy as you can. Yeah. Just a second, Dolph. How about blasting powder for the safe? I was forgetting about that. <laughs> I won't. But I don't see none. Just keep your shirt on, Monty. Old Zeb is going to give us the powder for blowing up his own safe. Huh? <laughs> Why should we carry any? We have to give our guns to the marshal. And if he sees us carrying blasting powder into town, he's liable to suspicion something. Yeah, I know, but, but Zeb's I... got some in his store. We'll buy it from him. Then when he's out, we'll just take back our own cash with the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to hand it to you, Dolph. Ain't you taking extra guns with you? Sure. Got them hidden inside our shirts. We'll give our gun belts to the marshal, and he won't never think of looking for more shooting irons. And most likely we won't need them if everything goes off all right. Uh-huh. The main thing is, make all the commotion you can. You just leave that to me and the boys. Set one of the fellows to watch the general store. If he sees any trouble, the rest of you can come and help us out. Yeah. But if he sees us come out and get on our horses, 
We can give you the high sign, and you can all light out and get away. I won't forget. You got our horses there, Marty? Yeah. All right. Let's get going. We'll be seeing you, fellas. You're darn right, you will. Get up there. Come on. Get up there. Come on. Get up there. Get up there. Flash ahead to Zeb Wells' general store in town. The old man, still bitter toward Cliff Dolan, is speaking with his daughter, Rita. You haven't seen anything of young Dolan since yesterday, have you? No, Father. Yeah, you'd better not. Father, can't you realize how wrong you are? Cliff is one of the nicest men I've ever met. They're all the same. Oh, Haven't I seen them? Gambling, drinking, gunfighting. I won't have a daughter of mine associating with them. Uh, I suppose there's no use trying to argue with you. None at all. Oh, there's the marshal. Howdy, Mr. Wells. Hello, marshal. Quiet in town today. Yep. Just took some guns off a couple of strangers. They didn't make no trouble. Strangers? Well, not exactly. They was in town yesterday, but I never seen them before that. Hmm. I got some cash here. Reckon uh, you could put it in your safe for me? Be glad to. Here it is. Mm -hmm. Costs $40 there. Mm -hmm. You're saving your money. (laughs) Shucks. There ain't nothing else to do with it in town. I'll put it away for you now. The safe's open. Mmm. You got a side of cash there. It's close to ten thousand. Won't be long before we'll be needing a bank here. Not by the looks of it. There. It's all locked up good. Well, there's the strangers now I was speaking of. They're coming up the steps. Uh, I see them. Uh, good afternoon. Howdy. You got some blasting powder here, mister? Why, of course. What we want is blasting powder, fuse, and caps. Yes, I can sell them to you all right. Blasting out some trees, are you? <laughs> nope. We're using it to get gold. Oh, you're miners. <laughs> you might call us that. Yeah, it's right over here. I'll get it and... Uh... Blasted, Mr. Wells. More cowboys. It sure sounds like it. Sounds like there's plenty of them. Most noise I've heard yet in town. Well, don't stand there, Marshal. Do something. Stop them. I'm a going there. You may need help. I'll go along with you. Father, you were waiting on these men. You can wait on them. Oh, I'm sorry. What was it you wanted? Just stand there. That's all we want. The first move you make, we're liable to shoot you. <gasps> all right, Money. Get going. I forgot about the girl here. That ain't going to make no difference. Just get the blasting powder ready and we'll blow up that safe. Street, a band of mounted men were whooping and firing their guns in the manner common to cowboys celebrating their arrival in town. From all sides, the townspeople, aroused by the shooting, ran to aid the town marshal. Back in the store, Doth and Monty wasted no time. 
They prepared the blasting powder, lit the fuse, then stood back, waiting for the explosion. It'll blow up in just a second, off. You, you crook! Shut up. Watch it. The door's blown clean off. Now to get the cash. You can't get away with this. You just think we can't. Come on, Doc. Curly, I've never seen so much gold and silver before. It fell all over the floor. Pick it up. we got to hurry. I'll call the marshal. Get him, honey. Hey, you. Let go. He warned you. Thank you. 
The story you have just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. you to rocket into the future with Stand by to raise ship. Blast off minus five, four, three, two, one, zero. As roaring rockets blast off to distant planets and far-flung stars, we take you to the age of the conquest of space with... Sliver of light on the eastern horizon throws a soft glow on the long, sleek shape of the rocket patrol cruiser Polaris as it stands at its launching berth on the Space Academy ground. Inside the gleaming spaceship, the three cadet members of its crew, Tom Corbett, Roger Manning, and Astro, are going through the routine of a pre-blast-off check. Does dial four amperage check, Astro? Check, Tom. As I was saying, when... Hold it, Manning. Something's coming through the news facsimile receiver. It's just a news bulletin. Listen to this. Central government hints at new clues in the mysterious disappearance of special cargo ship. New clues? Space gas. Now look, Roger. Oh, don't mind, Roger. Tom, go ahead. It has been less than a week since the space freighter Elsie Joe disappeared near the sun, loaded with an invaluable cargo of nearly pure vanadium. Already large quantities of the precious alloy have appeared in the black market on Earth. Is that what they call a new clue? Well, I could have told Hold you. Hold it a minute. Sources close to the central government now believe that the cargo freighter was hijacked and an immediate investigation will be launched to establish the identity of the hijackers. Now, I ask you, what kind of double talk is that? You've read the whole bulletin we still don't know any more than when you started. Nobody expects you to know anything, Bubblehead. I wonder if they really have any leads. I can answer that for you, gentlemen. Captain Strong. Righties, men. I see you've been reading the facsimile bulletin. Yes, sir. They claim there's some fresh evidence on that hijacking job. Yeah, there is. I just came from a briefing in Commander Arkwright's office where we were told that a small, privately owned rocket ship has been reported ferrying the vanadium in from a hiding place somewhere near the sun. Well, sir, are they sure it's the same vanadium that was on the freighter? Well, it has to be, Tom. They've checked the vanadium mining operation on I.O., and the only quantity of the stuff that's unaccounted for is the load that disappeared under our noses. I still don't see how they pulled off that job. It's pretty clear to me. Captain Lamar was in with those hijackers. That's why he picked that crazy course and took his ship so close to the sun. Very good, Manning. That's the way Central Intelligence figures it. Of course, we'll never know for sure unless we catch them. What are our orders, sir? Is the Polaris going to try to track down that private ship? Right, Tom. Have you men completed your checkup? Yes, sir. Good. Then prepare to blast off. We raise ship in ten minutes. What have you got, Manning? Spaceship, sir. Third quadrant. Position 2150. Solar Guard or Merchant? Neither, sir. It's a 
looks like the one we're after. Well, patch it down here. I want to see the scanner. Hi, sir. You've got it. Here, sir. It's in focus now. Yes. That's our baby, all right. Call them, Tom. Tell them to prepare for boarders. Yes, sir. Polaris calling. Identify yourself and stand by for a boarding party. Spacecraft in position 2150. Identify yourself and stand by for an inspection party. Oh, they're not answering, sir. Manning, alter course to intercept them. Aye, sir. Control deck to power deck. Stand by, Astro. We may need auxiliary power for maneuvering. Standing by, sir. Captain Strong, they're making a lateral sweep and firing auxiliary rockets. Astro, give me full space speed. Manning, keep the fix on them. We can overtake them. Well, no, sir, we can't. They're pulling away. Well, it's impossible. We're at top speed. Just the same, sir. They're getting away. She's too fast for us. We can't overhaul her. We'll return to the exciting adventures of Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, in just a moment. So stand by. Spaceman, suppose you were blasting off on a long trip to the outer planets. Well, you'd be mighty sure to check your ship over thoroughly. You'd make sure you had enough rocket fuel to get you there and back again. And you'd check your supplies, too, to make sure that you have the right kind of food on board to help keep you strong and healthy. Now, listen to what Tom Corbett says about that. Before each trip, our food locker on the Polaris is well-stocked with Kellogg's Pep, Spaceman. And you can bet it's just about empty by the time we get back. Kellogg's Pep, Pep helps to keep the whole crew supplied with the vitamins and food values everybody needs to build up strength and to keep up strength. So if you want to stay in trim, the way the space cadets do, take a tip from me. Start your day the spaceman's way with a heaping bowlful of Kellogg's Pep, the build-up wheat cereal. And spaceman, wait till you taste the multi-rich wheat flavor of Kellogg's Pep. Why, you say the best-tasting cereal in the whole wide universe is Kellogg's Pep. While on patrol duty in space, the rocket cruiser Polaris attempts to intercept an unidentified spaceship suspected of burying vanadium that has been hijacked from a government freighter. But to the utter surprise and chagrin of the Polaris crew, the renegade craft easily outdistances them and disappears. It's no use, Captain Strong. She's so fast we can't even get a fix on her anymore. It's incredible. I never saw anything like the way that ship pulled away from us. It was those auxiliary rockets she carries that did it. That must be the fastest spaceship in the universe. You're not just blowing your jets, Roger. That ship can really move. Tom, get out a general CQ to all patrol ships. Tell them to be on the lookout for that craft. Aye, sir. Polaris to all patrol ships. Polaris to all patrol ships. Watch for unidentified spaceship, believed to be the vanadium hijackers, moving at extremely high speed, course undetermined. If any patrol ship does spot her, Captain Strong, how are they going to overhaul her? I don't know, Astro, but we'll have to find a way. Well, if we could isolate that ship in some single quadrant, Captain, one of our craft might be able to shoot her down. That's what I had in mind, Roger. Here comes something, Captain. We read you, Orion. Go ahead. I just spotted the unidentified craft coordinate 6145-67 by 43-44-22. Check those coordinates, Roger. Yes, sir. You were right about her speed. Our attempt to overhaul her failed. She refused to answer our ID request and we lost touch. We're going to maintain the search. Thanks, Orion. Keep us posted. Spaceman's luck. End transmission. 
sir, with their report and ours, I think I've got a fix on her course. Well, where's she headed, Manning? At the moment, sir, right toward the sun. All right, men. Prepare to alter course. We're going to follow her in as far as she goes. You heard that conversation between the Solar Guard ships. Yes, and I don't like it, Lamar. Two ships reporting our position gives them a fix on our course. Shall we alter it and head for outer space? No. We won't be caught if we don't lose our heads. How far are we from our base now? Uh, at this speed, some seven hours or so. All right, hold the course. We'll go there and hold up until it's safe to freight more of that vanadium back to Earth. But what if they track us to our base? The chances are pretty slim that they can do that, Lamar. But if they do... That will be too bad for them, because if they do, they'll never live to report it. Captain Strong, that's that. Nothing to report. It looks like a clean getaway for those hijackers. I wonder, Tom. Say, Astro, let's see that space chart again. Here you are, sir. Now, according to the fix we had on that ship, it was headed toward the sun. Right, Manning? Yes, sir. Not far from where the cargo ship was hijacked. You'd almost think they had their base on the sun. That's impossible. Look, Bubblehead, you don't have to tell me that. Now, look, look here on the chart, fellas. At the present time, the sun lies directly between us and only one other planet. Mercury. Right, Tom. And since the L.C. Joe was hijacked very close to the sun, wouldn't it seem logical that the hijacker's base would be relatively close by? Well, that makes sense to me. Sure. Now, it looks to me as if we scared them, so they put on full speed and headed for their base, which is probably near here someplace. Sounds right. And if true, they shouldn't be too hard to find. Well, how can you say that, Captain? Mercury has a diameter of over 3,000 miles. Yes, but they couldn't hide their base on the sunlit side of Mercury. The heat of the sun would be too much. Also, they would be detected too easily. Well, they'd hardly set up a secret base in the Twilight Zone. That's the only place on the planet where there are any colonies. Exactly, Astro, which leaves us only the dark side of the planet to search. Now, my guess is their base will be hidden there. Probably as close to the Twilight Zone as possible. The dark side of Mercury. Oh, that's about as cold as Pluto. It's not exactly a pleasant place, but that's where we're going to have a look. If I'd have known this, I'd have worn my electrothermal underwear. Cut your jets, Roger. This is serious business. All right, men. Get to your stations. We're headed for Mercury. Well, Lamar, have you picked up anything? Yeah, a ship just came within range of our base radar wall. They're headed this way. Uh-oh. I was afraid of that. By its contours, I guess it's the Polaris. Polaris, eh? Uh. That strong ship. We've got to be careful of them. He's got a pretty good cadet crew. I know. The Polaris was our escort ship when we pulled this job. I almost didn't shake them. How long will it take them to get here? Well, they should be in this latitude in another ten minutes. Of course, they may pass right over. After all, this base is pretty well hidden. Don't be a fool, Lamar. Our huts are bound to lose some heat no matter how well insulated. This makes it possible for their sensitive detectors to locate our base while still hundreds of miles away. Well, then what can we do? I've got a little surprise for them. Look here, Lamar. Ever see one of these? Looks like an electron beam projector. Right. It's an old weapon, but a good one. It 
will short out any electric circuit in a radius of as much as a mile. But that's no good against the Polaris world. Every rocket ship in the last 50 years has had counter-equipment triggered by the beam itself. I know that, but I'm not going to use it against the ship, Lamar. I'm going to use it on the crew. We'll see what I mean when the time comes. I won't have long to wait, then. Look at that screen. Oh, they're entering the dark zone. What's their altitude? Uh, down about 60 miles. They've reduced speed, too. They're searching for our base. Okay, let them find it. We'll be ready for them. Any reaction from the screen, Tom? Not yet, Captain. I'm adjusting the scanner now. Ah, here we are. Well? The detector indicates heat, sir, in small quantities, such as might escape from an insulated building. Good. We've located their base. Put her on automatic stabilizer, Tom. We're going... Good work, Astro. Come on up here. Tom, what about that heat source? Well, we're somewhere within a thousand yards of it, sir. You can't see a thing out there. How are we going to find it? On foot, Roger. All right, men, break out the pressurized suits. All right, sir. Let's go, fellas. And Tom. Yes, sir? And break out that special survival kit, too. We'd better take it along with us. Right. Now then, let's have a check. Uh, Sidearms, infrared spot. Oh, I have that, sir. Portable radar. Right here, sir. Survival kit. I'll take that. Now, recheck the heating and pressure units in your suits. We wouldn't be able to walk with all this junk if the gravity were anything to speak of. Out there, without this junk, as you call it, Roger, we wouldn't survive more than five minutes. Now, stand by to open the airlock. There they are, Wald. Coming out of the Polaris airlock now. All right, Lamar. Turn on the beam projector. Here it goes. Let it warm up before you focus the beam. It'll be ready in a minute. But you still didn't explain what you're going to do with it. Let me get at that viewplate. Yeah. This has to be focused exactly right. Give me the precise range. The ship or the crew? The crew, of course. Uh, 250 yards. Good. Well within the most effective range. It should work perfectly. But that beam isn't powerful enough to stop a man at any range over ten yards. No, but it's effective enough to short out the heating units in their space suits. The heating units? Sure. Without those, how long do you think they can be active out there? By Jupiter, they wouldn't last long. What an idea. All right, Lamar, stand by. Just a few more yards, and we'll let them have it. All right, men. Keep close together. Don't get separated in this darkness. Will you listen to that wind? This is worse than Pluto. At least it's quiet there. The detector indicates the heat source is over this way a few degrees, sir. All right, Tom. Flash the spotlight that way, Astro. Aye, sir. Huh. Still no sign of anything. Well, they'll have it well camouflaged. You can bet on that. Keep your weapons ready. They may be tracking us. The signal's at maximum, sir. We must be within a few yards of it. Wait, Astro. Don't move the spot. I just saw something. A flash of metal. Very neat. Well, the ship must be concealed around here somewhere, too. Probably underground. Hey, you know something, fellas? Imagination's a funny thing. Even in this insulated suit, I'm starting to feel cold. You're space happy, Roger. How can you get cold with a heating unit in your suit? Hey, I don't feel exactly warm myself. Hold it up, men. Something's gone wrong. What is it, sir? Our heating units aren't functioning. I'm beginning to feel cold myself. What about you, Astro? 
Yes, sir. I, I hate to admit it, but I feel it, too. Well, the heating units have conked out. What are we going to do, sir? If we stay out here much longer, we'll freeze to death. We'll return to the exciting adventures of Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, in just a moment. So stand by. Listen to the pound of those giant drivers sending that locomotive speeding down the main line. Well, that's only one of the 16 exciting action pictures you can see in the Magic Moving Picture Eye series. And you get a Magic Eye free at no extra cost in every package of Kellogg's Pep. How would you like to see William Holden, star of Paramount Pictures' Submarine Command, send up the periscope of the submarine and give the signal to fire the torpedo? Well, there's a magic eye that shows you just that. And there are other magic eyes that show you more movie stars and trains, jet planes, and other exciting pictures. Sixteen different magic eyes altogether. Why, there's even a magic eye showing tennis star Bobby Riggs playing in a big game. You want to collect all 16 different magic eyes, so start now. Remember, you get a magic eye free at no extra cost in every package of the build-up wheat cereal, Kellogg's Pep. P-E-P. Pep. In the merciless cold of the dark side of Mercury, where the temperature stands at almost absolute zero... Four figures huddled together against a howling gale, their spacesuits rendered useless as protection against the elements, now that the vanadium hijackers have caused the heating units in them to cease operation. For a moment, they remain motionless in stunned realization of their plight. And then, with a mighty effort, Captain Strong forces himself to move. The kit. I've got to get it open. What's that, sir? The survival kit. What good is the survival kit now? It can... It can save our lives... If I can rip it open. There. There, that does it. I, I'm numb. Here. Emergency batteries. Quick, Tom. Attach this to your, to your heating unit mechanism. Yes, sir. There's one for you, Astro. Manning. And I've got one, too. My fingers. They're so stiff I can hardly move them. <laughs> Hurry. Hurry. There's no time to lose. There. I. Yes. I've got it. I've got mine, too. Oh, my feet. Your, your extremities may hurt for a minute as, as the circulation starts again, but it won't last too long. My ears feel like they're going to drop off. Great galaxy, I didn't know how cold a man could be. We'll be all right soon. Not for long. These are only emergency batteries. Well, then we'd better get back to the ship fast. Not yet. We've still got a, got a chance to capture those men. How, sir? Roger. Mastro, lie down on the ground here. You say lie down, sir? Yes, it, it, as though you'd collapsed. Come on now, be quick. We've got to work fast. Okay, sir. Come on, Roger. Hit the deck. Now we're going to try to trap these men out in the open. When they spot you two lying here, they'll, they'll be sure you collapsed from the cold. They'll think that Tom and I are somewhere behind you. Oh, I get it, sir. Astro and I are the decoys. That's right. Now when they come out here to investigate. We'll be ready for them. Sounds like it might work at that. It's got to work. All right, Tom. You come with me. Yes, sir. 
What if those men don't show up before these emergency batteries go dead? Well, that's the chance we've got to take. All right, Lamar, you can shut off that beam now. Okay, Wald. That should take care of our visitors. Now we'll have a look. Get into your spacesuit. I want you to go out there and find them. Me? Oh, no thanks, Wald. What do you mean, no thanks? That's an order. I don't care what it is. I'm not setting foot out of here alone. Oh, so that's what's on your mind. You don't trust me, eh? You think I'll try to do away with you? You guess it. Now, why would I want to do that, Lamar? Because you don't need me anymore, that's why. You needed me to hijack that vanadium and help you establish the base here. But now things are getting hot, and I happen to be the only one who can put the finger oh, on you. Oh, you're crazy. Am I? Don't forget I saw what happened to Franklin. I had to get rid of him. The easiest way was to dump him in space. Well, I'm not going to make things so easy for you. Okay, if you feel that way, break out my spacesuit, too. We'll go out there together. I'm afraid our trap's not going to work, Captain Strong. Yeah, it's beginning to look like it, Tom. And we can't wait much longer. These emergency batteries will conk out any minute now. Hold it, sir. What is it? Look over there. That big boulder. See. Well, for a second, it seemed to be moving. It is moving, sir. Look, it's the entrance to their underground hideout. Two men are coming out. Stay down and keep them covered. Don't worry, sir. I sure will. Don't make a move now. Hey, they're going over toward Astro and Manning. That's just what I was hoping they'd do. Now we can move in behind them. Come on, Tom. I'm with you, sir. Loosen their spacesuits, Lamar. Make sure they're finished. Okay, Wall. You keep looking for those other two. That won't be necessary, mister. We're right behind you. Strong. Drop those weapons. We've got you covered. Astro, Manning, disarm them. Right. You heard the orders. I'll take those guns. All right, you got us. I'll say we have, and we've got the vanadium, too. Good work, men. Step on it now. Let's get them aboard the Polaris. Yeah. I want to be where it's nice and warm when these batteries go dead. Roger, this is one time you and I agree completely. Don't miss the next action-packed adventure with Tom Corbett, Space Cadet. An adventure in which the cadet crew of the Polaris face death in space as the victims of willful sabotage in an interplanetary space tournament. Tune in, same time, same station, for the next thrilling interplanetary adventure with... Tom Corbett, Space Cadet! Brought to you by Kellogg's Pep, the build-up wheat cereal. Tom Corbett, Space Cadet, starring Frankie Thomas, can also be seen on television and appears in the comic sections of many of America's leading newspapers. Look for it daily and in weekend editions. Featured in the cast were Al Markham, Jan Merlin, Edward Bryce, and James McCallion. Today's program was written by Gil Braun and directed by Drex Hines. Jackson Beck speaking. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. And what a secret. In Kellogg's Raisin Bran, the tasty raisins are dipped in honeycomb. 
That means plumper, more tender raisins, along with delicious Golden Crisp bran flakes. Both fruit and cereal all in one box. And no other raisin bran but Kellogg's gives you the tender goodness of raisins dipped in honeycomb. That's Kellogg's secret. So for your breakfast, make sure you get Kellogg's because... Kellogg's Raisin Bran has a secret. Presenting Superman. Up in the sky. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. And now, Superman. Amazing figure from another world with powers and abilities never before realized by mortal men. When we last saw Superman in his disguise as young Clark Kent, reporter for the Daily Planet, he and his editor, Perry White, had just received a warning telephone message from a mysterious voice, which identified itself as the Yellow Mask. In exactly 24 hours, said the mask, the Daily Planet would be blown to a thousand fragments. Horror-stricken, Kent and his chief stared at each other in the humming office. Then pandemonium. Sirens wailed in the streets. Police searched the building for bombs. Today, as our story opens, we find ourselves far from the doomed offices of the Daily Planet. Dr. Sven Dahlgren shows an unexpected visitor about his laboratory, explaining its wonders, and also explaining his latest invention. Listen. Please, please do not touch that window frame. So? It is not clean, perhaps. It looks clean. Oh, it is quite clean, but it is wired. It carries a powerful electric charge. Most interesting. Are you also experimenting in electricity, Dr. Dahlgren? You have come to see my latest discovery, have you not, Professor Schmidt? Indeed. And so have others. You are not the first. Others would not only like to see it, but gain possession of it. No, I cannot believe it. Oh, it's quite true, I assure you. For weeks past, ever since word got out of what I was doing, I've... I've been annoyed, even threatened. Threatened, Dr. Dahlgren? By whom? I don't know. Queer voices over the telephone, mysterious visitors in the dead of night. Yes, that is why I had the laboratory wired. But what do they want? They want my invention. They realize that whoever owns it controls a practically unlimited power. Unlimited power? Is that true? Certainly, Professor Schmidt. Unlimited power for destruction. Which is why I'm determined to keep the discovery a closely guarded secret. In the world today, my friend, there is destruction enough. Men are at one another's throats like dogs gone mad. No, I will never be a party to war and bloodshed. Ah, but come, I, I waste time. Into this room, Professor. Uh, don't brush against the metalwork. There it is, on the table, Professor. That is the machine. So small. My latest development. Small, light, compact, but deadly. Uh, now then, please stand exactly where you are. Watch closely what happens to that glass on the edge of the table. Watch. It's... it's amazing. The glass was shattered. Now, watch that small steel ball. Why, why it's gone. Vanished. Blown into atomic dust. Then it's true. I didn't believe, but it's true. Certainly it's true. Based on the power of atomic force. Everything in the universe has a certain vibration point, Professor Schmidt. And my machine focuses a beam of vibrating infragamma rays wherever I choose to direct it. And then? Any object in the path of the beam begins to vibrate. At a certain point, depending on the object, atomic force is overcome. And the object simply disappears. Explodes, if you like, into nothing. Doctor, you say 
Any object? Any object whatsoever, at distances up to a mile. Unbelievable, my dear doctor. Let me be the first to congratulate you. Thank you, thank you. You have done me a great service, doctor. You have placed in my hands an instrument of destruction that will at last give me what I have been seeking. Absolute control of the world and every living thing in it. What? What do you mean? You have been horribly misled, Dr. Dahlgren. I am not Professor Schmidt of Hawthorne University. Mere men who work under me know me by quite another name. I am destined to become supreme ruler of the universe and with this deadly machine. Get out of my laboratory. Get out before I... You won't do anything, Doctor. Not if you value your life. This gun I hold in my hand is fully loaded. Take care. You're mad. Utterly mad. How far do you think you'll get with that machine? The police will... Beyond the reach of the police, I assure you. I have laid my plans with great care, Doctor. First, I shall destroy the building which houses one of your great newspapers, because a reporter on that paper foiled my plans in the West and succeeded in jailing two of my men. When that is done, I will go about the task of creating for myself the position I rightfully deserve. Emperor of the world. And now I must go. Put that machine down. Put it down, I tell you. Michael, stop him. <laughs> oh, no. No living thing can stop me now. Goodbye, Doctor. Don't let him get away. Michael. Doctor, what's happened? Oh, catch him, Michael. Catch him. Doctor, what's the matter? You're pale. He got away with the atomic beam, Michael. Do you know what this means? That lunatic, he has in his hands the power of life and death. He is a walking symbol of death. Where is Clark Kent? The minute he gets back, send him in. Here I am, Mr. White. Oh, Kent, Kent, where have you been? Down in the cellar helping the police. Turn up anything? Any sign of a bomb? Not a thing, Mr. White. We combed the building from top to bottom. Anything turn up here? Not so far. What's the time? It's four o'clock. If that fellow really meant business, we've only got about two hours to go. Call in your office, Mr. White. Oh, thanks, Lois. Oh, by the way, Kent, I don't think you know Miss Lane. Lois, this is Clark Kent. Oh, how do you do? Uh, you wait here till I get back, Kent. I won't be a minute. Well, the boy wonder, huh? Why, Miss Lane, what do you mean? They tell me you talked yourself into a job, went out west, and came back with the biggest story of the month, all in less than a week. Well, I, I guess I was pretty lucky. <laughs> I'll say you were lucky. Now you're the white-haired boy, huh? I'm afraid I don't quite understand. You got the old man hypnotized. He thinks you're Horace Greeley. I'm afraid I don't... Oh, don't act so dumb. All this nonsense about a time bomb in the cellar. What's the big idea? Miss Lane, I only wish I knew. You mean to tell me you didn't make it up out of your head? I certainly did not. I don't believe it. Well, now what's the matter? Listen. Don't you hear something? Oh, I hear the presses in the basement. No, no, outside. Pardon me a minute. Come to the window. Now, don't you hear anything? What do you think you hear? A plane. There's a plane out there flying low. Well, I'll be... Now, look, Mr. Kent, this is a big town. You'll find quite a few planes flying around here all day and all night. If it bothers you, you better go back to the farm. No, no, really, I, yes, I mean it. Yes, really, I mean it, too. Tell the old man about your big discovery. Here he comes now. Well, well, anything new? Yes, you're a star reporter. Heard a plane. It was flying pretty low, Mr. White. Well, what of it? Oh, I got a job for you, Lois. Yeah, a good job? No. Go out and interview a scientist. Human interest stuff. Who is he and where? Dr. Sven Dahlgren. Got his own laboratory out on Haven Avenue. Look the number up in the book. Who is he, Mr. White? What's on his mind? Leading American investigator in the field of atomic energy. 
Must we change? Yeah, come on. Get going, Lois. Get going. This paper's always been tied in with science. We've been after Dahlgren for a long time, and now he comes to us. Why? Well, he said somebody stole a new machine he invented. I couldn't make much sense out of it, but he seemed pretty worried. Wanted me to rush a story into print. Well, what's the matter with the police? I suggested that, but he said he needed more than the police. Sounds cracked, but it may make a yarn. Uh, on your way, Garley. Well, all right, if you say so, Mr. White. I'll get right out there. So long, Mr. Star Reporter. You come with me, Kent, into the office. I can't stand much more of this. I know, Mr. White. It's nerve-wracking, this yellow mask business. Uh, worse than that. I don't know whether to believe it or not. If we could only get a lead. Ordinarily, I wouldn't give it a second thought. Just another crank. And I don't know, Kent. I swear I don't know. Well, what's the time now? Uh, five after four. Don't keep thinking about the time, Mr. White. Confound it. What else can I think of? Two hours more, and we may get blown to glory. What do you think? About the yellow mask? Can he do what he says? Well, let's hope he can't, Mr. White. Uh, but you're afraid he can. And the devil of it is, so am I. Now, if it hadn't been for that business out west... Well, maybe you ought to empty the building. No, no. You want us to be the laughing stock of the city? Suppose nothing happens. On the other hand, suppose something does. Well, they can't intimidate me. If the yellow mask means business, he'll find us right here at 6 o'clock. City room, White. Mr. White, this is Dr. Dahlgren's... Yes, yes, Dr. Dahlgren. One of our best people is on the way to your laboratory right this minute. No, 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 that is not why I call. I wanted to tell you... Yes, yes? The man who stole my atomic beam machine mentioned a newspaper. He said... He said... Yes, what did he say? Something about destroying a newspaper. What's that again? Listen, doctor, doctor. Hello, hello. Hello, Dahlgren. Hello, hello. Yes, Mr. White. I was cut off. Get me Dr. Dahlgren at his laboratory, quick. Sorry, Mr. White. I'll call you. We were cut off. No, he was cut off. I'm sure of it. You heard all that? Mr. White, that scientist, what was he working on? Oh, I don't know. Some kind of a gadget to release atomic force. A machine? I imagine so. Why? Don't you see, Mr. White? There's our lead. The man who broke in and robbed him was the yellow mask. Kent, I think you're right. Dahlgren just said the burglar mentioned destroying a newspaper. Then I must be right. Now, look here. We've searched the building and haven't found a thing. No packages, no wires. If the Daily Planet is going to be blown up, it's got to be done outside. Maybe up above. That airplane. Airplane? It was flying too low for a transport. Mr. White, that plane was spying out the lay of the land. And at six o'clock with Dr. Dahlgren's machine, they'll come back again and... Hello, Dahlgren? I'm sorry, Mr. White. Dr. Dahlgren's telephone is out of order. Kent, do you hear that? Dahlgren's line is dead. Cut. That settles it, Chief. I'll be seeing you later. Kent, Kent, where are you going? After Miss Lane. Something's wrong at Dahlgren's. If it's the mask, well, there's not much time to stop him. So long. Hey, kid, what's your hurry? Yeah, got another front page scoop, Kent? Oh, thank heaven. The locker room's empty. Quickly now. Out of these clothes. It's Superman's turn now. Oh, someone's coming. The window. Out. And up. Up. time left. Got to find Miss Lane, find out what's happened at Dahlgren's, and stop the yellow mask. Higher we go. Higher. And faster. 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 Deadly peril hangs over the offices of the Daily Planet. Already the yellow mask is in possession of a mighty and terrible weapon. Time is growing short. But Superman is on the way. Powerful forms streaking through the night sky, red cape whistling in the wind. Can he arrive in time? And what new unforeseen danger is already creeping in on the laboratory of Dr. Dahlgren? 
with Lois Lane about to enter all unknowing. Tune in next time and follow the story. Remember, be with us again for the next startling transcribed installment of Superman. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Nothing refreshes like A&W Root Beer. So good. Just right. Let's have some tonight. A&W Root Beer. Another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Frankie and Kitty put their heads together and come up with Susie Skunk. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Well, that's one way to get downstairs in a hurry. Hiya, Dippy Dwarf. Hello, Frankie Frog. Yeah, what you looking at, huh? The Pig's Hotel, across the road there. It sure is a handsome building, Dippy. The Harmony Plaza, bright and new. And look at my hotel, the Dwarf Waldorf. Yeah, old and run down. Yes. When Barbecue Pig moved into her own hotel, she left me one vacant room here. And I haven't rented it yet, Frankie. Well, gosh, Dippy, you can't blame anyone for preferring to stay in the Pig's Hotel, now can you? I suppose not, Frankie. But just the same, I need to rent my vacant room. Need the money to pay bills, buy groceries, buy Easter eggs. Hey, I tell you what I'll do, Shorty. Something helpful? Hey, Natch. I'll help up to Kitty's room, and we'll plan an advertising campaign for the Dwarf Waldorf. You're a real fiend, Frankie. Well, pardon me while I hop upstairs. And down the halls to Kitty's room. Her pretty cat is like a melody. Oh, it's my dream frog, Frankie. <laughs> Hiya, Kitty baby. Uh, may I come in? Of course. You can watch me look at myself in the mirror. Hey, Kittykins, uh, we got to help Dippy Dwarf. Is he in trouble? Well, not trouble, exactly. It's about this here hotel. I thought things were rather cozy here now, without the pig. Well, that's just it. The pig moved into her own hotel, and now there's a vacant room down the hall. No wonder this second floor has been so quiet. Whenever anyone wants a room these days, they go over to the Harmony Plaza instead of coming over here. Oh, I don't blame them. If I could afford it, I'd live over there myself. Yeah, but look at it from Debbie's point of view. He needs the room rent. Have you paid him your room rent? Yeah, well, no, uh, I'm in arrears three years. Uh, what about you? I only owe for two years. Well, see there, Dippy doesn't get any money from us. Uh, he needs a paying guest. Well, what can we do about it? Well, I suggest we start an advertising campaign for this hotel and rent that room. Good. Shall we go down the hall and have a look at it? A splendiferous idea, Kitty. After you, you lovely fluff of fur. Say the truest thing. Uh, the room is right here. Hey, the door's open. Oh, look at this room. 
Oh, the pig sure left it in a mess when she moved out. No curtains at the window. No rug on the floor. The bed looks like a pig slept in it. Yeah, and that chair is on its last legs. Frog, if we're going to rent this room for Dippy... Hey, Kitty, what are you thinking? Your whiskers are twitching. We'll have to redecorate this room. Yeah, and completely refurnish it. With fresh paint and new furniture. I can see it now. We'll fix a new room, a red room, or blue room. And surprise Dippy Twelfth, you bet, when he sees this new room. Not like a pool room, a bright room, a cool room, that he can rent without a care. This new room far away upstairs. Make it look the way you make it sound. <laughs> It'll be gorgeous. Oh, yes. Well, there's no time for dreaming about it. We gotta do something about it. What first? Well, I'll hop over to the grasshopper's junk shop and get some paint. And I'll go over to Susie Skunk's. She's good at interior decorating. Oh, I do hope Susie Skunk is in. If you're working your way through military school by selling goose steps, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty. Hello, Susie Skunk. Are you busy? Only moderately so. Do come in. Thank you. I've been making truffle waffles for my woodchucky. Oh, is Dumb Clock here? Oh, yes, he's in the kitchen. You, Chucky, I have company. You do? I thought I was your company. I'm here now, Woodchuck. Oh, nice to see you, Kitty. Won't you sit down, Kitty? Sue, I must speak to you privately. Well, don't mind me. I don't, but you must leave the room. Please, Chucky, go in the kitchen and have a truffle. Oh, Susie, are you truffling with my affection? Oh, no. Oh, I wouldn't dare. But I must talk to Kitty. No, Kitty, she thinks she'd to catch me out. Who is more important, a kitty or a woodchuck? Truffle. Huh. What's so important, Kitty? Sue, it's about the vacant room in the dwarf wall door. Oh, you mean the room where Barbecue Pig stayed until our hotel was built? Yes, it's vacant, and I want you to help me rent it. Oh, really? I couldn't rent it. My house here has more room than I can live in. Oh, I couldn't go in a hotel room. You don't understand, Sue. I want you to help me redecorate the room. Why the door to do that? Make the slip covers, crochet the bedspread, hang the pictures like stair steps on the wall. Can you help me? Oh, yes. When do we start? Right now. Oh, I'll get my bonnet and fascinator. Oh, Chucky! Yes, sweetie Susie. I'm going now. Keep the home fires burning. But, Susie, the truffle waffles. Eat all you want and put the rest in my purse. I have some inferior decorating to do. Well, here's the grasshopper's junk shop. Hiya, Gerald Grasshopper. Hi, Frankie Frog. They be just today. You sure do. We're fixing up a room in the dwarf Waldorf, and I need some paint. Got lots of paint around here. These cads. Yeah, what colors? Don't rightly know. Let me look this cad. Hey, looks like tobacco, don't it? Yeah. Hey, that's not a can of paint. It's a cuspidor. Oh, so it is. Uh, what about those cans over there, Gerald? Aha, uh-huh. these must be the cans of paint. I'll open up the lids. Hey, that can is only half full. And so is that one. Well, what do you expect at a junk shop? Uh, do you have enough of any one color? Well, that depends on what you call enough. I remember one time when I was wrestling with a doodlebug. I pinned his legs to the ground, twisted his wings until he cried, 
Adolf, Adolf. That's how much was enough for a doodlebug. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a frog, and I want enough paint to paint a hotel room. Tell you what I'll do, boy. Take these three cans of paint, red, green, purple, and orange. I'll sell you a striped paintbrush. And I can stripe the walls. Gee, that's not a bad idea. The grasshopper, you're really clever. Oh, I wouldn't say that. But when it comes to paint, though, I'm slightly brilliant. Yeah, how do you account for that? I use a high-gloss enamel. <laughs> well, Susie Skunk, we finished shopping. Yes, and I almost have more bundles than I can carry. Well, here comes Frankie Frog. We'll let him carry the bundle. But look, he already has his hands full cans of paint. Oh, so he has. Frankie. Yeah, hi, you kitty baby. Susie. Hello, Frog. Gee, look at the bundles. Couldn't you carry them back to the dwarf Waldorf for us? Yeah, I already have a load. Now, these are cans of paint and this striped paintbrush. Frankie, I just thought of something. Yeah, what? Who's going to pay for all these things? Who paid? Uh, yeah. Gee whiz, I never thought about that. Then start thinking. Money, money. Do you have any money, Kitty? No, and if I did, I wouldn't spend it this way. I haven't any money either. <laughs> Jeepers. Hey, who's that over there by the chestnut tree? It looks like Timothy Turtle. Maybe he has some money. You know, I'll ask him. Hey, Turtle. Oh, me, he's asleep as usual. Wake him up. Well, I'll tap on his shell with a striped paintbrush. <laughs> hey, Tim, wake up. Oh, um, what time is it? Well, it's time for you to come out of that shell and talk to us. Don't want to come out. You come out or I'll come in there and scratch your eyes out. I'll come out. I'm out. <laughs> Timothy, do you have any money? Nope. Not a red cent. Oh. What about a blue nickel or a dollar greenback? The only greenback I have is the one under my shell. Yeah, I might have known a turtle wouldn't have any money. He's too lazy to earn any. I'm not lazy. It's just that my energy is tired. Frankie. Uh, yeah, kitty baby. Timothy could carry these bundles back to the dwarf Waldorf for us. Hey, he could at that. Uh, Timothy, hold out your hands. Why? Don't ask questions. Uh, just do as I say. Hold out your hands. Like this? Yeah, that's perfect. Now, take these bundles. And these cans of paint. What about my bundles? Pile them on, too, Susie. Oh, goody. There. I, I sure let myself get hooked in the this. Now, you take them right over to the dwarf Waldorf, Turtle, and go up to the second floor with them. Oh, my... How could I be so misguided? On your way, Turtle. Sometimes I wonder if it pays to be so accommodating. Now our hands are free. We can go do more shopping for that room. We do need some thistle-down pillows. Yeah, and we do need some money. Barbecue pig is wealthy. Go get some money from her, Frankie. But, but, but will she let me have money to fix up a rival hotel? Be clever, Frog. Don't let her know. You can do it, Frankie. You have a green head. Well, I'll try. See you two later. Yeah, look in the window of the pig's hotel and see if she's in the lobby. Yeah, there she is. Hey, she's talking to Swindler Q. Fox. Wonder what they're talking about. Oh, I declare you do say the clever thing, Swindler Q. That's because I'm a fox. <laughs> I do believe someone's at the door. Then permit me to see who it is. Oh, do by all means. The highest swindler, Q Fox. Is the pig in? 
Uh, one moment. I'll see if the pig wishes to see you. Hey, don't you give me that runaround business. I'm hopping in. Well, wait here while I speak to the pig. Uh, you wait here. I'm going to speak to her. Uh, oh, barbecue pig. Uh, hiya. Franklin Frog is our live and breathe. The uh, pig, you know, I don't see any shrubbery in here, so I can't beat around the bush. But I'll come straight to the point. Whatever do you mean? Uh, I need some money. Quick. So, pardon the expression, what? Yeah, open up your safe and give me a few bills, pig. Of all the unmitigated news. Oh, pig, it's for the beautification of a drab part of Wormwood. Oh, it'll improve the looks of things. It sure will. It's your civic duty to give me some cash. I adore being civic-minded. I'll open up my push button money box. Stand back out of the way, Frank. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, I'll push this button here... And here is my money box at my pig feet. Gee, look at all the money. Uh, hurry, pig. For the beautification fund, I hereby give you eight seventeen dollar bills. And for the cash, I hereby give you seven fourteen carrot kisses. Oh, oh, heavens! When you play post office, it's a red letter day in the mailbox. <laughs> A couple of more squishes of the striped paintbrush, like this. And the walls are all striped and colorful. Oh, this room is gorgeous. New slip covers, soft thistle-down pillows. Yeah, I'll hop down and tell Dippy about it. Hey, Dippy. The Dippy Dwarf. Hey, I'm right here, Frankie. No need to shout. Uh, come upstairs and see the big surprise, Shorty. Oh, I like surprises. Well, come on. I'm coming. You don't have to pull my beard. Now, right down the hall to the room that the pig vacated. Surprise! Look at this room. Why, it's beautiful. And now you won't have any trouble renting it, Betty. I should think not. It's so beautiful, it'll rent in a minute. Oh, Dippy, your worries are over. The room's already rented. It is? Yes. It's so much more beautiful than my old room. That you're going to rent it? Right. Now you don't have to fret about this room being vacant. Oh, Kitty, you're so noble to make such a sacrifice for a friend. Well, it's not all sacrifice. The minute I walked in, I could see myself in this room. Well, that's not strange. There are mirrors on every wall. <laughs> <laughs> wonder Kitty could see herself, and maybe the mirrors will reflect good luck for Dippy Dwarf and his animal friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Till next time, Frankie Frog sees a poster that changes his life. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying so long. Wormwood Forest. Written by Tom Titchener has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. He, he, he was a Coke. She was a Pepsi. Together, they were a Coke and a Pepsi. 
It's the story of a much older, older Pepsi and a much younger Coke. She offered him a thrill. He went along for the ride until one day... Jealousy took over. Pepsi found out her friends liked the new Coke for his better taste. And that's when they fell out. Well, uh, that's when Pepsi fell out. This is Mac, 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 Max Edrum. Catch the wave. Coke. This program is dedicated to the memory of Philip Thiessen. This presentation is a part of Audio Adventure Theater. An introduction is to introduce people by Christopher Robin and his friends who have already been introduced to you are now going to say goodbye. So this is the opposite. But of course it isn't really goodbye because the forest will always be there. And anybody who is friendly with bears can find it. CTD Productions presents to you Winnie the Pooh, The House at Pooh Corner, based on sections of the book by A.A. A. Milne, starring Ray Teeson as the narrator. Christopher Robin had spent the morning indoors going to Africa and back, and he just got off the boat and was wondering what it was like outside, when who should come knocking at his door but Eeyore. Yes, I remember that day. I stood there with the door open, and Eeyore was standing on four legs in front of me. Hello, Eeyore, I said as I stepped outside into the snow. How are you? It's snowing still. So it is. And freezing. Is it? Yes. However, we haven't had an earthquake lately. What's the matter, Eeyore? I asked him earnestly. Nothing, Christopher Robin. Nothing important. I suppose you haven't seen a house or whatnot anywhere about. What sort of a house? Just a house. Who lives there? I do. At least, I thought I did. But I suppose I don't. After all, we can't all have houses. Eeyore, I didn't know. I always thought- I don't know how it is, Christopher Robin. But what with all this snow and one thing and another, not to mention icicles and such like, it isn't so hot in my field about three o'clock in the morning as some people think it is. It isn't close, if you know what I mean, not so as to be uncomfortable. It isn't stuffy. In fact, Christopher Robin, quite between ourselves, and don't tell anybody, it's cold. Oh, Eeyore. And I said to myself, the others will be sorry if I'm getting myself all cold. They haven't got brains, any of them. Only gray fluff that's blown into their heads by mistake. And they don't think. 
But if it goes on snowing for another six weeks or so, one of them will begin to say to himself, Eeyore can't be so very much too hot about three o'clock in the morning. And then it will get about, and they'll be sorry. Oh, Eeyore, I said, feeling very sorry already. I don't mean you, Christopher Robin. You're different. So what it all comes to is that I built myself a house down by my little wood. Did you really? How exciting. The really exciting part is that when I left it this morning, it was there. And when I came back, it wasn't. Not at all very natural. And it was only Eeyore's house. But still, I just wondered. I didn't stop to wonder. I was already back in my house, putting on my waterproof hat, my waterproof boots, and my waterproof Macintosh as fast as I could. We'll go and look for it at once, I called out to Eeyore. Sometimes, when people have quite finished taking a person's house, there are one or two bits which they don't want, and are rather glad for the person to take back, if you know what I mean. So, I thought if we just went... And off we heard. There. Not a stick of it left. Of course. I've still got all this snow to do what I like with. One mustn't complain. Oh, look, I cried, as I saw something small coming towards us. It's Piglet. Possibly. What we want is a trained bloodhound. Ah, Christopher Robin and Eeyore. Same to you, Piglet. And twice on Thursdays. Why Thursdays? You see, Piglet... I tried to explain. I'm trying to help Eeyore find his house that he built out of sticks. That's right. Lost it just here. Yes, it's lost, and Eeyore... Where did you say it was? Just here. <sighs> Made of sticks? Yes. Oh! What? You're sure it was a house? I mean, you're sure the house was just here? Of course I am. No brain at all, some of them. Why, what's the matter, Piglet? I asked. Well, the, the fact is, well, the fact is, you see, it's like this, only warmer. What's warmer? The, the other side of the wood, where your house is. My house? My house was here. I ought to know. Well, you see, Pooh and I were thinking about how Eeyore doesn't have a house, and so we decided to build him one on the other side of the wood. And I said, Pooh, I saw a heap of sticks on the other side of the wood. So we grabbed them and built you a house on the other side. It just shows what can be done by taking a little trouble. Do you see, Piglet? Brains first, and then hard work. Look at it. That's the way to build a house.
tomorrow or the next day. Eeyore, what are you doing? What does it look like? It looks like you have three sticks on the ground. Very perceptive of you, Bigolet. And two of the sticks are touching at one end, but not at the other. And the third stick is laying across them. Do you know what it is? No. Is it a trap of some kind? It's an A. Oh. Not O. A. Can't you hear? Or do you think you have more education than Christopher Robin? Yes, no. Christopher Robin said it was an A, and an A it is, until someone treads on me. Oh, dear. Do you know what A means, little piglet? No. It means learning. It means education. It means all the things that you and who haven't got. That's what A means. Oh, I mean, does it? I'm telling you. People come and go in this forest, and they say, It's only Eeyore, so it doesn't count. They walk to and fro, saying, Ha ha! But do they know anything about A? They don't. It's just three sticks to them. But to the educated, mark this, Piglet. To the educated, not meaning poos and piglets. It's a great and glorious A. Not just something that anybody can come and breathe on. Um, there's just one thing I wanted to ask you, Eeyore. What happens to Christopher Robin in the mornings nowadays? What does Christopher Robin do in the mornings? He learns. He becomes educated. He instigorates. I think that is the word he mentioned, but I may be referring to something else. He instigorates knowledge. In my small way, I also, if I have the word right, am, am doing what he does. That, uh, for instance, is... Well, I, I must get back and tell the others. Christopher Robin was going away. Nobody knew why he was going. Nobody knew where he was going. Indeed, nobody even knew why he knew that Christopher Robin was going away. But somehow or other, everybody in the forest felt that it was happening at last. How do you do, Eeyore? I don't. Not to know this. We all know why we're here, but I have asked my friend Eeyore. That's me. Grand. I have asked him to propose a resolution. Now then, Eeyore. Don't bustle me. Don't now then me. Nobody knows anything about this. This 
is a surprise. <clears throat> what nots and etceteras. Before I begin, or perhaps I should say, before I end, I have a piece of poetry to read to you. Hitherto, hitherto, a long word meaning, well, you'll see what it means directly. Hitherto, as I was saying, all the poetry in the forest has been written by Pooh, a bear with a pleasing manner, but a positively startling lack of brain. The poem which I am now about to read to you was written by Eeyore, or myself, in a quiet moment. If somebody will take Rue's bullseye away from him and wake up Owl, Squawk! we shall be able to enjoy it. I call it poem. This is it. Christopher Robin is going. At least I think he is. Where? Nobody knows. But he is going. I mean, he goes. To rhyme with notes. Do we care? To rhyme with where? We do. Very much. I haven't got a rhyme for that is in the second line yet. Bother. Now I haven't got a rhyme for bother. Bother. Those two bothers will have to rhyme with each other. Bother. The fact is, this is more difficult than I thought. Christopher Robin, goodbye. We send our love. End. If anybody wants to clap, now is the time to do it. Thank you. Unexpected and gratifying, if a little lacking in smack. It's much better than Pooh's poetry. Well, it was meant to be. Oh, look! Here comes Christopher Robin. Hello, Piglet! Hello, Pooh Bear! Hello. Ahem! Go on, Eeyore! Christopher Robin, we have come to say, to give you, it's called... Written by, but we've all, because we've heard, I mean, we all know, well, you see, it's we, you, well, that, to put it as shortly as possible, is what it is. Thank you, everybody. It's not for you, Pooh. It's for Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin? Everybody crowds round so in this forest. There's no space. I never saw a more spreading lot of animals in my life. And all in the wrong places. Can't you see that Christopher Robin wants to be alone? I'm going. Not quite knowing why, the others began edging away, and when Christopher Robin had finished reading the poem and was looking up to say thank you, only Pooh was left, and they both went off together. But wherever they go, and whatever happens to them on the way, in that enchanted place on the top of the forest, a little boy and his bear will always be playing.
In the House at Pooh Corner by A.A. A. Milne. Dramatized for audio by Caleb Thiessen, you heard Ray Thiessen as the narrator, Caleb Thiessen as Eeyore, Reed Thiessen as Piglet, and Aaron Thiessen as Christopher Robin. Special appearances were Philip Thiessen as Winnie the Pooh, Chad Carding as Rabbit, Brent Carding as Owl, Renee Thiessen as Kanga, and Daniel Goodman as Rue. Sound design and mix was by Caleb Thiessen. The audio adventure theater theme was composed by Garrett Vandenberg, and I'm Cody Robbins. The House at Pooh Corner by A.A. Milne was brought to you by CTD Productions. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our website at audioadventuretheater.blogspot.com. Extra, extra, extra good news. The makers of Jell-O have discovered a way to give you rich, luscious chocolate pudding far more easily and far more economically than ever before. With the new Jell-O chocolate pudding powder, you can make old-fashioned pudding, smooth, creamy, and chocolatey, just like the ones grandmother used to make back in the good old days. Now you can have them again, and this is all you have to do. Just combine the contents of a package of Jell-O chocolate pudding with some milk in the top of your double boiler, letting it cook until it becomes smooth and thick. When the mixture has cooled, serve it in sherbet glasses. You'll have enough for six helpings. And that means six happy people. Jell-O chocolate pudding is so simple, so inexpensive, and so downright delicious that you mustn't delay trying it. Ask your grocer for Jell-O chocolate pudding, and if he hasn't put it in stock yet, be sure he orders it for you. Remember the name, Jell-O chocolate pudding. Makers of Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, those two nourishing, delicious cereals that are shot from guns, bring you another thrilling Dick Tracy detective adventure. Big guns. That's the way they sound when they're making puffed wheat and puffed rice. It's a special Quaker process that makes it possible for you alert boys and girls and all your friends to enjoy nourishing wheat and rice every day in this most digestible, most delicious form. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are two swell, different flavors, you know. So you can have puffed wheat one day, then puffed rice the next for a delightful change. When the nourishing grains of wheat and rice are shot from the Quaker guns, the grains are actually exploded to eight times their normal size. They're plump and crisp and nut-like, as different as day and night from ordinary cereals. Shooting them from guns makes Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice especially easy to digest, too, which means that you get the food energy you need to be as quick-thinking and fast-acting as Dick Tracy is much more quickly and easily. So for a real treat that you and Mother and Dad all enjoy for breakfast, ask Mother to get some Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice at the grocery store.
The black pearl of Osiris, which Dick Tracy wants safely returned to Egypt, is concealed in the secret compartment of a special ring given to Tracy by Humi Batik, a member of the cult of Osiris. In a hand-to-hand encounter with members of a secret gang who were trying to get the pearl, Dick ripped the coat from the back of one of his assailants. In our last episode, Dick examined the dust taken from the coat with a vacuum cleaner and thereby narrowed the search for the gang's headquarters. Pat, heading a searching party, telephoned and gave Dick a message in code. What was in that message? What's the news, Pat? You were right about a mattress factory being a hideout for these gangsters. We watched all three of them, and it just happened that I was watching the right one. Uh. Six men have gone into that dark building over there in the past half hour, Dick. Two more went in since I called you on the phone. Good. Sounds like the place we want. Where are your men? One moment. Here they come out of doorways and alleys. All right, boys. Yeah, all right. We're ready now. Yeah. Higgins, yeah. Take, take four men and go around and guard the back of that factory. Okay. Jones, yeah. you take another four and stay out here in front. Right. The rest of you men come with me. Okay. What are you going to do, right, Dick? Right. A surprise raid. Walk in and nab him, Pat. All right, boy, I'm with you. And I hope we nail the big shots. All right, then. Let's go. Come on, man. Come on. Try that door, Pat. Right. It's unlocked, Dick. Good. It's a dim light burning at the top of those stairs. Come on, you men. All right. They're in there, Pat. You can hear them talking. What do we do? Follow me. I'm going to surprise them. When I give the word, all of you rush at that door and break it in. Right. All set? Yeah, yeah. Then now. Get him up. Get him up, get him up, Pat. Get out of there, you. Go on, move, move. Well, well, may I inquire what this means? Are you the head of this mob? I don't quite understand. This is a factory. These men are my employees. We've met here tonight to discuss something pertaining to our, well, to new shipments. Would you be good enough to explain your violent entrance? Certainly there's no call for a raid by the police. I'm sorry, it won't do. I have a fair memory for faces, and I can positively identify at least four of these men as the ones who attacked my friends and myself earlier this evening. Yeah, and so can I. Why, this is preposterous. You can't get away with this. We'll see about that. You, I suppose, are the high mogul I've heard about. I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, don't you? Oh, no, I'm now, sure My I... suggestion to you, Mr. High Mogul, is to relax, because we're taking you and your friends down to headquarters. So, if you're smart, you'll talk now, when it might do you some good. All right. All right, I'll talk. You bet you will. And talk fast. You got the high mogul, all right. He used to be the owner of a couple of art galleries, but they folded up. Now he's in the game of stealing art treasures and paintings, priceless books, anything some collectors will pay a high price for. Go on. Well, Dryden Small was a member of the gang, although the mogul is really the brains. Small was going on a trip to Egypt. And a Mogul arranged with him to steal the heart of Osiris at Black Pearl and bring it back. Well, you know the rest. Yes, yes, that's all the information we want out of you. Have that confession typed and bring it in for him to sign. Right, sir. Uh, now, listen, now, I, I get a break out of this, don't I, if I turn state's evidence? You'll get as much of a break as I can give you. I'll take it, Dick. Hello? Yeah? Oh, just a moment. For you, Dick. The tomb. Oh, thanks, Pat. Tracy speaking. Batik wants to see me. See me and Junior? What's he want with Junior? Oh, you don't know, huh? All right. We'll be down in a little while. Pat, I've got to go down to the prison. Homie Batik wants to see me and Junior. Says it's urgent. Have this bird sign that confession and then send him down to the tombs. Right. I'll look in on the high mogul while I'm down there, too. I want to have a talk with that fellow anyway. 
And as, as I was telling you, Mr. Tracy, this high more golf fellow has been very quiet. Now the people to him all day. He just lies there in his cot in cell 15. He doesn't say a thing. He doesn't even stir. I see. All right, I'll go in to see him after I finish with Batik. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here, Batik's cell is right down this way. What do you think Kumi Batik wants with me, Dick? I don't know, Junior. We'll soon find out. Well, here you are, sir. Well, Batik. Oh, do come in, Mr. Tracy and uh, Junior. I'm Hello. very happy to see you both. What's on your mind? I understand that you have captured the High Mogul. Yes, yes, he won't worry us any longer, Batik. I wish I felt as certain about that as you seem to feel, Mr. Tracy. The Mogul, you know, is an extraordinarily clever man. I don't doubt it. We'll keep our eyes open, you can depend on that. Batik, when are you going to send your agent to me, the man who's to carry back the Black Pearl of Osiris? Oh, he will come soon. He has at last made the way clear, I believe, for the safe transportation of the Black Pearl. Yes, he will come to you shortly. Say, Mr. Batik, what about me? Didn't you say you had a surprise for me? <laughs> yes, I have. And I was just about to discuss it with you. Earlier this week, I gave to your great and good friend, Dick Tracy, a special ring which contained a secret compartment for carrying the Black Pearl of Osiris. Do you know the legend of that ring? Well, no, I don't. Uh, neither do I, Batik, and I think I'd like to hear it. Oh, you shall, my friend. Many hundreds of years ago, there lived in the city of Fezan in the province of Libya a certain prince named Bani Suef. He was a great man, this prince. But alas, there came a time when the young prince was wounded on the field of battle, dangerously wounded. Gee, his father's heart was full of sorrow, for he feared that his son might die, and death seemed very close. Then one night, the pharaoh, his father was awakened from his sleep by a vision, a vision of Osiris the Great. Ah. Osiris gave to the pharaoh a ring, a ring in which there was a secret compartment, and in this compartment was some fluid that looked like water, but was not water. And Osiris said, Take that fluid from out of the ring and anoint your son with it, and he will be well. And then he disappeared. Did he get well? Then the pharaoh leaped from his bed, and rushed into the room where his son lay dying. He opened the secret chamber of the ring and anointed his son with the fluid, and lo, the eyes of the young prince opened. The fever left him. Once again, he was strong and healthy. Gosh. And all was well. That junior, Mr. Tracy, is the legend of the secret ring of Osiris. It's a wonderful story. Gee, I'll say it is. But, uh... You didn't call us down here just to hear a legend. Oh, no, no. Earlier this week, when I gave the secret ring to you, Mr. Tracy, I could not help noticing the eyes of your young friend, Junior, as he studied the ring. They were wide with eagerness. He said that he would like to have a ring just like it. And so, as a small token of my gratitude to you, Dick Tracy, I wish to present this to your young friend. Wow! It's a ring! A secret ring of Osiris. Yes, we have had it made especially for you. Just like the ring of Osiris. And it is all for you, Junior. We have made one special change. We know how greatly you admire Dick Tracy. So your ring bears the likeness of Dick Tracy on it. We thought you would prefer it that way. Oh boy, I'll say I do. Gee, it's wonderful. I'll wear it always, and I am sure it will bring you good luck. I certainly will. 
gee, thanks. Thanks a lot. Gee, Dick, isn't it a beauty? And that secret compartment, I can make good use of that for, for carrying secret messages and things. Uh, gee, Mr. Batikia. Oh, gee, you're swell. I'm glad it brings you happiness, my young friend. Gee, Dick, now I've got a ring just like yours, except that it's got your picture on it, and that makes it better than yours. Oh, boy. Batik, I, I certainly appreciate this thoughtfulness on your part, and... Junior, I'm glad... Oh, Mr. Tracy, you... Mr. Tracy. Yes, Keeper, what is it? W- will you please come with me? I, I think something's happened to that high mole girl guy. What? Uh, wait here for me, Junior. You say you think something's happened to him? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I... Look, he looks dead. There, there, here's his cell door. Remember I told you he was very quiet all day long? Well, I went in to have a look at him and, well... Well, he, I'll see for yourself. Huh. No pulse. He is dead. I wonder who could have done this. It must have been a heart attack. Yes, yes, probably. The medical examiner will undoubtedly be able to tell us exactly what happened. Uh, hospital again, Joe? Yeah, we're taking this fellow over to the police hospital to the medical examiner. Oh, Someone kill him? No, but he died in a strange way. Just passed out in his cell. Oh. They didn't even know he was dead for a few hours. Oh, uh, a... gentlemen. But, holy mackerel. It's the dead guy. What? He's talking. I am not dead, my friend. At least I am sufficiently alive to keep you covered with a gun. You'd better do what I say. And I warn you, do it quickly. What is the answer to the riddle of the High Mogul's miraculous recovery? And what will happen if he makes his escape? Well, that's a surprise. And get ready for another one because it's time for the Dick Tracy Secret Service Patrol meeting. Brought to you by the makers of delicious, nourishing Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. And here comes Dick Tracy with Junior to tell you all about the big surprise he has for you. The meeting will now come to order. Okay, Dick. We're all ready for that big surprise. Well, I don't know whether you can stand another surprise, Junior. You were nearly bowled over when Homi Batik gave you that secret ring. Say, let me see your ring, Junior. Here it is. Isn't it a beauty? Mm-hmm. See this swell picture of Dick on it? And here's the secret compartment. You see how it works? Say, that's great. You're a mighty lucky boy. Gee, you can carry secret messages in there, just the way Dick keeps the black pearl of Osiris. Junior, how do you think the patrol members would like to have secret rings just like yours? What? The patrol members? Secret rings for them? You mean a real secret ring like this for every patrol member? Holy smoke! Well, that's that's emphatic, if not clear. But I gather you think they'd like them. Oh, I'll say they would, Dick. Anybody'd give anything for a secret Dick Tracy ring like this. Well, I've talked to the Quaker man about it, and he says that our friends who make Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice will do everything they can to help. That's right. They're glad to make it possible for all the patrol members to get... Secret Dick Tracy rings free with Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice box tops if we can find a jeweler to make the rings, and we're looking into that now. So save some Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice box tops over the weekend, boys and girls. You know, when Dick Tracy makes up his mind to have secret rings made for all of you, you can count on it. And believe me, when you see one of those beautiful gold-plated rings, you'll want one. Listen Monday and learn how to get your secret Dick Tracy ring free. In the meantime, get your Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice box tops. Don't send any in yet. Wait till we tell you on Monday. 
But look in the pantry for those famous red and blue Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice packages. Tear off the tops as soon as they're empty and save them so you can get a beautiful, secret Dick Tracy ring free. And if there isn't any Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice in the pantry now, ask Mother to get you some at the grocer's. Then you and Mother and Dad can join the thousands of happy families who enjoy those two nourishing, delicious cereals that are shot from guns to give you quick energy. Calling all adventure fans. Calling all Dick Tracy fans. Stand by for another exciting Dick Tracy adventure Monday at the same time. That is all. One from each pan. Children's not shoving. There's more in the oven. Hey, Mom! Put patty cake cookies on your shopping list. Oatmeal, chocolate chip, and sugar mist. I'm seeing varieties on your market shelf. Why, wow, they're so good, you're lucky I don't eat them all myself. Patty cake cookies. Patty cake cookies. Cellophane package, you can see what you buy. What makes the taste of good baby pan? Well, to tell the truth, I sample them two from each pan. Monday through Friday at this same time by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. But first, here's a very important announcement for every fellow and girl listening in tonight. It's about the first of the big three presents that Captain Midnight is going to give to every full-fledged member of his new 1940 flight patrol. Now, I don't mean the official junior pilot application card with the mysterious code words on the back. And I don't mean the burnished bronze medal of membership with the three-blade spinning propeller and the secret password. Both of these are free, too, of course. But now I'm talking about a special free present that Captain Midnight is going to give besides these other things I've already told you about. What it's going to be, I can't tell you now, but I will say this much. It's one of the most strange and fascinating things you've ever seen anywhere. You'll swear it's actually alive, but enough of that. The important thing right now is this. You must be a member of the Flight Patrol before you can get this free present I'm talking about. So what you want to do now is be sure you have joined the new 1940 Flight Patrol so you'll have your official junior pilot's application card and your spinning propeller medal of membership to prove you're a full-fledged member. Then you know you'll be entitled to take part in the big adventure with Chuck Ramsey and Patsy Donovan and also get that exciting free present 
that will be announced real soon now for every member. So, if you haven't already joined, remember, here's all you do. You don't need a single penny. No box tops, no seals, not even a penny for a stamp. You just stop at your Skelly service station the next time you're out in the family car and tell your Skelly man you want to join the new 1940 flight patrol. He'll give you your junior pilot's card right away and see to it that you get your spinning propeller medal just as soon as possible. And he'll put your name on the list for the next free present that Captain Midnight is getting ready right now to offer you over the air on this program. But remember, it'll be for members only, so join up at your Skelly service station tonight. And now to Captain Midnight. Yesterday, you remember, Captain Midnight and Chuck finally succeeded in locating Patsy and Ma Donovan after they escaped from the cabin. On guard in the darkness nearby are Pinky Drake and Slim Pool. Captain Midnight had just decided to take their prisoner, the pilot Zollinger, to a new hiding place in the mountains when Ma Donovan suddenly screamed that the supposedly injured man was escaping. Our scene today takes up the chase as Pinky's voice is heard in the distance. Now he is, Slim! Running! Sir, I can't see very good in the dark. Quick, Pinky, over to your left. By the great grizzly! If it ain't Captain Midnight, Captain. Great Caesar, so I'm sure glad to hear his voice. All right, never mind that. Quick, which way did he go? Seems to me like he went up the hill. Hey, Slim, he went up the hill. I don't see nothing now. Dark. You can't see more than a few feet. Oh, gosh, Red, this is bad. If that fellow gets back to shock, he may ruin all our plans. He couldn't get away very fast. Well, if you ask me, he's gone plenty far by this time. Well, there's no way of finding him tonight. We'd better get going ourselves. Jump in, Chief. Hold your breath. Poor child. Well, sure, that can be hard ten miles away. Help! Help! Quick, Slim's in trouble. Hurry, everyone, this way. Come on. Hurry. Found out. A bunch of wild animals that are certain. Yes. Help! Quick, help! By the great horn toad. Look at Slim. He seems to be down in the town wrestling or something. Or else he's having another one of his nightmares again. Wake up, Slim! It's a wild animal. That's it's real. Quick! Get this thing off of me! Come on, get your hands here, Pinky! Oh, look It's jumping this way. Oh, no, Slim! He's fighting with himself. That's what he is. Quick! Grab this thing. Why, you're crazier than a police, Slim. There ain't nothing on you. The heck there ain't. Quick, grab it. Throw your flashlight on him, Chuck. Quick. There. <laughs> Look at poor old Slim shot a box. Why, you think he's getting ready to fight Joe Lewis. Well, face alive. Look at Slim's face. Why, it's all cut up. Why, what in the tarnation was it, Slim? Well, seems to me that I seen something moving in the hole and I... Stuck my hand in, and the next second I was a fighting with something. <laughs> I'll bet it was a wildcat. Well, whatever it was, it sure had sharp claws. Well, I guess our prisoner's gone now. Yes, and we've got to get out of here, too. If we stay around here, we'll have all of Shark's men to contend with. And as soon as that escaped pilot gets to some of his friends, he'll lead them back here. All right, now, listen, everyone. We're going to start on a hard march. Chuck and I will go first because we know the way. Mrs. Donovan, you and Patsy will follow immediately behind us. Sure, and we'll be right at your heels. Okay, Red. Fine. Pinky. You and Slim bring up the rear. We won't let no one get near us. You can bet on that. Yeah, you mean I won't. I'll never forget the time when Pinky was supposed to be guarding camp. All right, now. It wasn't like he was going to tell it was. Leastwise, I don't get into fights with myself. All right, come on now, you two. You can fight some other time. We've got a big job in our hands. Are you ready, Chuck? All set, Red. Come on now, here we go. And don't lose track of each other for even an instant. What time is it, Chuck? Just a second while I look at my wristwatch. Huh? It's five minutes to three, Red. Almost three o'clock, eh? 
That means we've been on the trail well over two hours. It's been pretty tough for Ma Red. Walking like this since midnight. And we've been going uphill most of the time. Yeah. I heard that, Chuck Ramsey. And I ain't a bit tired. I can keep on going a couple of hours more. Just the same, Mrs. Donovan. I think we're going to call a halt. Oh, this looks like a good sheltered spot. You bet it is. Oh, look, Chuck. There are some thick pine trees. Oh, sure, and it smells just like the hills near Black Gulch. Anything wrong, Red? No, Slim. We're going to stop for a rest, is all. This is a sure swell place, if you ask me. Look, under those pine trees. The needles are so thick. Yes, uh, come on over this way, everyone. Get out your pocket knife, Chuck. Here it is. We're going to cut off a couple of these pine branches for Mrs. Donovan to lie on. Come on, Slim. We'll get a couple, too. Oh, here's one, Red. I'll hold it down while you cut it off. That's the number. It's half broken in two already. All right. I'll cut it off. Hold it. Yeah, hold this one, Pinky. There. Oh, sure, that's plenty. If you give me any more, I think I'm back on the feather bed at home. Well, there's one more for good measure. Oh, hand me that one, Red, and I'll put it with the other. All right, there you are. Oh, come on, Ma. All right. But it really ain't necessary at all. Ooh, I'm half asleep already. Uh, how long are we going to be here, Red? Well, I thought until just before daybreak. Well, that'll be about two hours. Yeah, less than that down in this country. I don't think anyone's been following us. Do you, Pinky? No, I don't think so. Slim and I have been pretty careful. And you didn't hear a thing, huh? Not a thing. No, we didn't. I guess it'll be all right to stay here for a while, don't you think, Red? Yes, I think so. Now then, we might as well divide up the next two hours. You mean for guard duty? That's what I mean. Well, how many do you want on guard at a time? Two. For safety's sake. All right. Suppose you and I take the first hour, Red, and Pinky and Slim can take the last one. Yeah, it suits me. Of course, Pinky will go to sleep. Says you. <laughs> I don't think there's any danger of either one of you going to sleep. That is, if you can keep that argument up for another hour. Come on, you old curmudgeon, you. Oh, I'm an old curmudgeon, am I? <laughs> well, now listen to me, you old good-for-nothing rat. Yeah? <laughs> oh, gee, they're sure a great pair, aren't they, Red? <laughs> yes, you bet they are. And if it hadn't been for their quick thinking, Patsy and Ma might not have gotten out of that shack alive. Well, come on, kid. Let's sit down against the trunk of this tree and relax. Okay. Ah, sure feels good to get off of one's feet. Say, this night air is kind of cool. Do you think we ought to light a fire? Oh, no, Chuck, no. Can't tell who's prowling around. And anyway, we've only got two hours to wait. Yeah. Well, gee, Red, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, Chuck, nothing. I... I'm just thinking about Major Steele and Conley. They've either made it or they haven't. I thought about them several times while we were climbing up the trail. An awful lot depends on them, Red. Almost everything, Chuck. Between you and me and this tree, I have my doubts. As to whether they'll get there or not? Yes, Chuck. That gas, remember? Uh, I remember only too well. Do you remember how that engine overheated? You bet I do. And this time they've got to fly five or six hours. Yes, five or six hours. Well, kid, let's play the naked. Well, we've told the rest of them that Major Steele will be back here by noon today. Yes, I know that. I didn't want to discourage them by telling the truth. What do we say if they're not back by noon? Well, we'll just say they've probably been delayed. Okay. And in that case, well... We'll have to face a tough situation. Okay, Red. We'll face it when it comes. Which won't be long. I can tell you that. And almost at the same instant, across the towering ridge to the east, a different scene is taking place. A smoking oil lamp casts a flickering glow on the interior of a hut. Behind a rude table sits the criminal, Ivan Shark. Near him sits his daughter, Fury. And on guard before the barred door stands his servant. Bang. Listen as Fury says. I do not believe Von Griff is coming, Father. Nonsense, Fury. You mean to imply that Von Griff would disobey my command? Bang. Yes, Master. Did you send the message to Von Griff? Message it was sent, Master. Good. Then Von Griff will be here. If you were not so sure of yourself, Father, 
I would tell you something for your own good. Mm. <laughs> Spoken just like a woman, Fury. But go ahead. What is this for my own good? Sometimes I do not believe that Van Griff is working entirely for you. Huh? And who else would he be working for? Do not forget. Van Griff owes his first allegiance to Rufo. But he is working for me now. Huh. I wonder. Master? Yes, Fang? I hear footsteps outside, Master. Silence. If it is Van Griff, he will give the signal. Answer him, Fang. Now we will see. Open the door, Fang. Yes, Master. Ah, so it is you, Von Griff. Who is that with him? Who is that with you, Von Griff? One you would be glad to see, Chief. Bring him closer. Close the door, Fang. Yes, Master. Look, it's the new pilot, Solinger. Hmm. So, it is Solinger, eh? Yes, Chief. He made his escape about three hours ago. Ah, this is excellent. Things are going our way at last. That crowd used him as a shield when they got out of that shack across the ridge. So they escaped, did they? I gave orders, Van Griff. I followed your orders exactly. But the mother and daughter and those two old fogies they had with them all came out using our man Zollinger as a shield. The boys couldn't shoot at them without killing him. Where did they take Zollinger? They hid out in a cave up the side of a hill. Later on, about the middle of the night, they left him alone for a minute and he escaped. Have you sent men to the place to capture the Donovan? Yes, but they aren't there. Ah. I'll ask him a question myself. Now then, Zollinger, did you overhear your captors talking? Yes, he did. He's nodding his head. Did they say which way they were going? Nodding his head again. Which way were they going? Look, he's pointing to the west. That is in the opposite direction to one Ferreira this day. Yes, that is strange but true. I wonder what this means. But never fear, my dear Fury. I shall soon find out. Well, this is strange indeed. Zollinger must have heard Captain Midnight plan to take refuge in Juan Ferreira's hunting lodge. But he has deliberately misled his chief, Ivan Shark, by telling him Captain Midnight's party is making their escape in the opposite direction. Have our friends found an ally in the opposite camp? Tune in tomorrow to Captain Midnight. And now, don't forget, before long, Captain Midnight will be ready to let me announce an amazing free present, a strange, fascinating, and mysterious gift for every full-fledged member of the new 1940 Flight Patrol. But meantime, the thing for you to do is to be sure your name is on the list of members. If it isn't, you'd better see your skelly man and join up tonight. Because you'll need your official junior pilot's card and your spinning propeller medal of membership before you can get this new free present. You'll need them also to take part in the thrilling adventure that's ahead and to figure out the meaning of the mysterious secret password on the back of your spinning propeller medal, together with the strange code words on the back of your junior pilot's card. So don't let another day go by. Stop at your Skelly service station with mother or dad and join the new 1940 Flight Patrol tonight. And don't forget to tune in again tomorrow, same time, same station, for further transcribed adventures of Captain Midnight. Brought to you by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. Why is one of Ivan Shark's men lying to his chief? What does this mean? And can Captain Midnight and Chuck rejoin Juan Parada? Be sure to listen tomorrow. Until then, this is Don Gordon, your skelly man, saying goodbye and happy landing!
Listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast is a unique experience. You will be able to listen to several old-time radio shows in one episode. From Our Miss Brooks to Gunsmoke, from comedy to drama and even science fiction, it's all here. New free episode every Friday, and you can even subscribe for only 99 cents a month to double your listening pleasure. So make sure you click follow us and find us on Facebook. So relax and enjoy the shows. Influence that individual to commit acts he or she would never think of committing if left alone. 
what's the connection between fortune tellers and mediums? The fortune tellers take out easy marks. And if considered worthwhile material to work on, they're inveigled into visiting a spiritualist or urged to sit in on a seance. My, my, my. People are so gullible. Yes, they are. They have to be protected from themselves. Uh, somebody's in the store. Uh, I'll be back in a minute. Probably Mike Manigan. If it is, send him back. Yeah, hello, Doc. Is Danny the daredevil dude? The store in the street? <laughs> yes. Danny's back in the laboratory. He's probably <laughs> cooking up a witch's brew of some sort. Uh, you mind if I go in? Oh, no. Go right back, Officer Manigan. Hello, hello Mike. Uh, hello, Danny. <laughs> Are you ready to visit the medium? Ready and waiting. Hey. You look very smart in your civvies. Yeah, they, they think your advice is good. They'll never suspect we're cops in these clothes. I don't know about that. My windblown barb and your red face. You don't look like bookkeepers. Or where are you two boys going? To a, a, a seance. You mean seance, I Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk with the dead. Uh, who's the medium? Well, he calls himself Professor Windrup. Where's the seance being held? Windrup's house out on Elm Street. You know, that old place that sits back from the street? Yes, yes, I know it. Uh, people used to say it was haunted. That's the place. Well, uh, come on, Patrolman Garrett. Uh, uh, pardon me, uh, Mr. Garrett. You go ahead, Mike. I want to ask Doc something. I'll be with you in a minute. Okay, I'll work out front for you. Say, Doc, can I borrow your X-ray camera with a special infrared lens? Oh, certainly, Danny. I'll get it for you. Uh, what, what can I carry it in? Oh, here. It's quite flat. Without your help. <laughs> okay. 
That's the house ahead. Yeah, it's a pleasant-looking spot for a murder. Are you healed? No, I didn't bring a gun. Well, I did. And if any goes to the party spirit, that's gay with me. I'm going to use it. Now, here we are. Come on, Mike, and remember to look psychic. Okay, Daddy. Good evening. All you expected? We have cards. Very good. Will you come in, please? The seance is about to begin. Thank you. Uh, who are these gentlemen, Gerke? They have cards, sir. Are you Professor Windrup? Yes, I am. Uh, this is Mr. Michael P. Manigan, and I'm Mr. Van Norden Garrett. We were recommended to you by the Gypsy Tea Room. My friend here is psychic. Oh, I see. Well, uh, come in, gentlemen. They're right in here. Uh, this is Mr. James Henley, the banker. His son, John, and his nephew, William. Mr. Manigan uh, and Mr. Garrett. Now, will you all take seats, please? You and Mr. Manigan sit here, Mr. Garrett. Thank you. We sit in a circle and hold hands. Uh, Mr. Henley, you sit here on my left. Between Mr. Garrett and me. John, you sit on my right. And William, you sit next to your cousin John, between him and Mr. Manchin. Right. There we go. This is a lot of poppycock. Uh, John, John, be quiet. If you don't want to sit in, leave the room. Oh, all right, Father, I'll keep quiet. I'm afraid your son is not in a receptive mood, Mr. Henley. No, he'll be all right, Professor. He's young, that's all. Yes. Now, we'll each take the hand of the persons on either side of us. And I'll put the lights out with this switch in the floor at my feet. Quiet, everybody. Relax. Banish thoughts of this mundane world. And let your minds wander out into the infinite. What was that sound? My teeth chattering. Is that you, Rodney, my son? Yes, Father. Yes, son, who was killed in Spain. Speak to me. Speak to me. Rodney, are you well? I cannot rest. A heavy burden lies on my soul. What is the burden on your soul, Rodney? My brother John does not love you. Like a 
like a loudspeaker behind a large painting. Uh, that's probably where the voice came from that old man Henley thought was the voice of his dead son, Rodney. Yeah. He was the old man's favorite son. He volunteered to fight in Spain and was killed in battle. Uh, let's, uh, let's see the other photograph. Yeah, right. I took this one just as John said. This is a lie. Shows the group seated in a circle. Look, at, uh, look there. It's a murderer. His hand is clutching the dagger, raised to strike. It even shows the cotton he wrapped around the hilt to avoid leaving fingerprints. This photograph alone will convict the murderer of John Henley. Are you going to phone police headquarters to hold? No. If they hold him. We may not be able to run the higher ups in the racket there. Oh, then you think the murderer of John Henley was not the top man? Oh no, no, he was just part of the ring. Brains of the racket are higher up, but they should have realized that John Henry's death would bring down the police on their necks. Somebody made a miscue there. I don't think the ring planned John's death. What do you think their plan was? Simply to use the dead son Rodney's fake voice to work on the old man and influence him to let his nephew William advise him. And in time, persuade him to make William his heir. But why? William is probably being used by this gang of racketeers. The old man should die leaving his vast fortune to William, and William would be blackmailed into coming across with a large sum of money to the racketeers. Mm, what devilish things evil minds can think of. Yes. Oh, by the way, Doc, put those negatives in a safe place. Well, they'll be safe with me, Danny. All right. Well, the Blue Beetle is going into action on this gang of crooked buzzards. Well, what are you going to do? The Blue Beetle is paying several visits tonight before another day dawns. Spiritualist racket will be smashed. Who is the murderer of John Henley? What will the Blue Beetle discover at Professor Windrup's residence? Whose warped mind is behind all these fiendish schemes to prey upon honest but superstitious and ignorant persons? Off through the night, feeds the Blue Beetle in his crusade against crime. Man, Professor Windrip phoned me that he has reason to suspect 
that some photographs were taken at his seance tonight by Patrolman Dan Garrett. The negatives may still be in his possession, or they may be in the possession of Dr. Franz that runs that little apothecary shop. I want those photographs. Okay, Chief, I'll get them. If you meet with resistance, let your conscience be your guide. I got you, Chief. My trigger finger's awful nervous tonight. It must be the weather. The professor's calling, L.G. Show him in. Oh, hello, L.G. This is certainly a terrible state of affairs. When did the cops release you? Just now. Someone bailed us all out, and I came right to you. I'll bet you left the trail a mile wide. No. I changed trains three times in the subway. Walked through Ralph's department store and then took a taxi here. Good. Well, what do you advise me to do? My business is ruined. Your business? <laughs> you should have thought of that before you killed John Henley. I killed him? You mean William? I mean you. William wouldn't have the nerve. But William hated his cousin. He was sitting right next to him. And so were you. What makes you think so? A little bird told me. I've got five down at police headquarters. They heard the questioning of your people by the police. Oh, yes. Oh. They said you were playing up to old man Henley. Well, I... say, you aren't figuring on trying to double-cross me on this, are you? Why, no, LG, I assure you... You'd better not if you know what's good for you. Now, what about those two policemen, Mannigan and Garrett? They'll be taken care of. When the case comes up for trial, they won't be there to testify. Yes, but the photographs... I'm sure I heard the click of a camera during the seance. They're almost dark, wasn't it? Pitch black. Okay. You don't have to worry. I'll leave everything to me. What do you think I'd better do now? Go out to your place and play dumb. I'll be out there later, as soon as I've had a talk with William Henley. He'll probably spend a few days on his uncle's yacht. In the meantime, I've got my men guarding everybody concerned. I imagine the Blue Beetle will stick his nose into this. And if he does... It'll be just too bad for Mr. Blue Beetle. Now look, Henley. I don't think you killed your cousin John. I didn't. I swear I didn't. Well, okay. Now, you just take it easy. Lay up here, Uncle, and you'll be the white-haired boy. He always believed anything his son Rodney told him. But this murder, what about that? We're going to let Professor Windrip take the rap. He's all washed up with us. I see. Later, you will introduce your uncle to another medium. We'll go to work on him again, in your favor. You'll be his heir. Yes, but he may live a long time, and I need money now. My creditors are hounding me, and I can't wait. Now, take it. Take it easy. Just as soon as he makes a will in your favor, he'll meet with an accident. You mean... He'll be talking with his dead son, Rodney, direct. Very clever scheme, but it won't work. The Blue Beetle. Yes, the Blue Beetle, and he's going to nip. Shall I let him have it, L.G.? Go ahead, shoot. Your bullets can't injure the Blue Beetle, but this belaying pin will. Good work, Gus, good work. So a mean belaying pin. Sounds like a light. What'll I do with him? Tie him up. Weight his body with an anchor and toss him overboard. Okay, LG. Well, Mr. Blue Beetle, you're gone for a night with <sighs> And you ain't coming back. Say, aren't you a, a bit ruthless, LG? In my racket, you have to be. 
Now, you be a good boy and we'll all be rich. Well, what are you going to do now? I'm going ashore. Professor Windrip is going to have a caller and get a big surprise. All right, Gherkin. I'm going to get some sleep. This has been a very trying evening. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Did you dismantle and hide the phonograph equipment and records? Yes, sir. Everything's been taken care of. Uh, will you be sleeping late in the morning, sir? Yes, Gherkin. Uh, call me about noon. Uh, very good, sir. Good heavens. Who can that be at this time of night? Well, I'll see, sir. It may be Mr. L.G., as you call him. Good evening, sir. The master's just retiring. Well, he'll see me. Oh. Oh, there you are. Oh, yes. Uh, what have you found out, L.T.? The Blue Beetle paid a visit to Henley's yacht while I was talking with William Henley. Well, how did you get rid of him? He's bathing in the sound with a 50-pound anchor tied to his feet. Great heavens. Yes, he was in the way. Just as you're in my way, Professor Windrup. What, what do you mean? You're all so, Professor. You almost cleared our racket. I can't wait for the law to take its course. Besides, you might fill the beans. Oh, no. I'm taking no chances. I'm going to close your mouth right... Drop that gun, L.G., or I'll flash you with my magic ray. The Blue Beetle. Yes, the Blue Beetle. You must be a strong swimmer, Blue Beetle. I am, and I learned a few tricks from Houdini. Otherwise, I'd be lying at the bottom of the sound. Get him, Gherkin! Get him from behind! Oh, no, you don't! Not this time, Gherkin. The Blue Beetle's on the alert. And here's one for you, Professor Windrip. Murderers. Now I'll take that gun, L.G. Certainly, Blue Beetle. Here it is, right under it. Just a little jujitsu. Now I've got the gun. What are you going to do? You've got nothing on me. Oh, no? I swam back to the yacht after I freed myself from the anchor rope and had a little talk with William. Was he surprised to see me? He is going to talk and talk plenty. He can't prove who killed John Henley. But the photographs Dan Garrett took at the seance can. What do you know about those photographs? The Blue Beetle knows everything. Now listen, Blue Beetle. Those photographs will never be shown at any trial. Pudgy has seen to that. What do you mean? Pudgy's my trigger man. I sent him to interview Dan Garrett's friend, Dr. Franz, the chemist. If the photographs are there, he'll get them or else. Open the door and I'll break it in. Well, Mr. L.G., the law's caught up with you. Your racket's smashed and you'll burn along with Professor Wind. Not yet, I won't. I'll cheat the chair with this voice. No, you don't. The law's going to send you and the murderous Professor Windrup where you can't cause any more harm. All right, now, all right. Reach for the Well, if it ain't the Blue Beetle, Professor Windrup and the Limey Servant. What a haul. And who's this? That's L.G., the ringleader of the gang. Just tried to take poison and I hit him. Here, Manigan, catch this gun. What? Well, okay, Blue Beetle. Sorry to leave so suddenly. Hey, wait a minute, Blue Beetle. You're under arrest. Hanged if the Blue Beetle didn't dive out of the window. Well, boys, slip the handcuffs on these babies and we'll take them along. I'll catch the Blue Beetle the next time. Several racketeers. But what about Doc Franz and the photographs? What has happened to them? 
As Pudgy carried out the orders of his chief, the infamous LG, let's hurry back to the little apothecary shop of Dr. Franz. Doc! Dr. Franz, where are you? Hello, Danny. Why, what's your hurry? Are you all right? Never felt better in my life. But, but, the gunman, the Pudgy... Uh, rosy cheeked a rather confident gentleman called earlier tonight. Uh, I was in my laboratory at the time. Yeah, well, well, what happened? He mentioned something about some photographs. He was rather insistent that I give them to him. Well, did he... Uh, yes, yes, uh, he pointed a gun at me. What did you do? Squirted a syringe full of concentrated ammonia in his eyes. Good. Where is he now? I tied him up to keep him from playing with my chemicals in there. Oh, that's great. And the photographs are safe? Everything's under control. Ah, fine. Those photographs will convict Professor Windrup of young Henley's murder... And William's testimony will take care of LG. Uh, what does LG stand for, Danny? According to William, LG stands for live ghost. The man behind the spirit. Well, if you'll excuse me, Doc, I'm going to turn in. The Blue Beetles had a very busy night. listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Have a good day.